0: The knives I had in my car with the blood on them, that blood came from a chicken that I killed for dinner. What? I had knives in my car that weekend. Maybe Bill saw it and called the other officer on me. Well, we'll be checking in
1: on that. Uh, let me ask you something else. Were you ever in Southern California at any time in 1966? Is this about the Riverside killer? Yes. Well, I guess I was there around that time. I used to go down there a lot. I liked the auto races.
0: fans to your favorite movie podcast not a bomb i am troy and with me as always is mr brad anderson brad welcome back to another sunday night how how you feeling today
2: i'm doing fantastic man what's up bomb squad everyone out there uh you know great weekend so i'm ready to talk about zodiac uh boy this one was uh took a lot of time so
0: yeah it's it's not the romantic comedy i was expecting. Um, but this is, this is going to be a cool episode. So, um, we have a guest this week and, uh, this, this episode I got to pick and I did, um, pick the, uh, David Fincher film from 2007 Zodiac. And what's special about this film is, uh, somebody in my family had discovered this, uh, show on Netflix, Mindhunter. So you're familiar with that, right, Brad? I love Mindhunter. Okay. So, Um, there's only, what, two seasons of it, and, uh, this person in my house and I just kind of blazed through, um, these, these two seasons, and it really opened up a lot of dialogue about, um, the people, uh, that sort of pop up within the story. Um, I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, so obviously there's, um, somebody that takes place within Mindhunter, very, um, big event that I got to kind of share my experiences growing up Um, to this person but i'm super excited because we have none other than angelica my own daughter on the show how you doing tonight angel
3: i'm very nervous why
0: why are you nervous
3: because i don't want to sound like some dumb teen
0: (laughs) no that's just not possible um people might know her voice
2: right from our intro
0: Yes, um, when when we were doing the Scott Pilgrim episode, we had some fun and uh, we recorded Angel doing a little Not A Bomb uh, intro that we are now kind of using um, throughout the show. But this this is kind of your, your big podcast debut, right?
3: Yeah, I have put aside the singing career to come on the podcast. Yes,
0: um, <laughs> thank goodness, <laughs> that singing career. Uh, I'm just kidding.
3: I thought you told me to follow my dreams.
0: Not that one. <laughs> um, so what we do with all guests, Angel, uh, mm-hmm. because I know you haven't listened to your dad's podcast, but I, I am happy you're wearing the shirt. Uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> what we what we tend to do is we like to have some questions for our guests that come onto the show. Um, Brad, are, are we going to like you do one, I do one, or how are we going to do this?
2: Uh, sure, you you start off. I'll do this. Yeah, you you start off, then we'll just go back and forth.
0: Okay, cool. So this <clears> is just a good way for us um, to level set with our listeners to say, hey, if if they've listened to Brad and I for a little bit, they sort of know our tastes. Um, but somebody new on the show, we try to ask some questions to get you know everybody grounded with what your tastes are, where you come from, in a movie background. Uh, I think this is going to be very interesting because <laughs> Angel, I'm I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, you just recently turned eighteen.
1: Yes. Yeah, so so she,
0: you, she's half my age. Yes. <laughs> um, you are an adult now, but you've had a, a pretty interesting background in terms of um, growing up with movies, right? That's
3: Yeah, and definitely a crazy background.
0: Crazy background. And it's, it's fair to say that you've probably seen a lot of stuff that um, your friends haven't, right? Definitely. Not. Okay, cool. So, um, first question. I, I'm going to start it off. What is your favorite movie of all time?
3: My favorite movie is The Thing from Another World.
0: <laughs> wow. That still baffles me. The the black and white version yeah. of The Thing. Now, the first time you saw it was a double bill um, with the John Carpenter version of The mm-hmm. Thing at the AFI in Silver Springs. What what about The Thing from Another World? Because that, that's an old science fiction film, black and white. What, why is that your favorite of all time?
3: It's my favorite movie because it's the first movie where I was actually blown away by the detail and the acting was so natural and like it was basically Jackie Chan before Jackie Chan. Like they lit each other on fire. <laughs>
0: Brett, did you hear that she made a Jackie Chan I know, reference I know. early I know. in just like a few minutes. Obviously she's girl. your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I think you also have always um kind of referenced the script of that too, right? The yeah dialogue. the
3: script was written beautifully.
0: Is that Christian Nibley? Is that the director I nah, can't it, was it now? I, I think it's one of those that Howard. Oh my gosh, I should know. Howard this.
2: Lasker is the producer, right?
0: Yes, but um, it is accredited to, was it Howard Hawks? I can't remember now. Yeah, Christian Nib- Nibby and yeah. Howard Hawks uncredited. Boom. Man, Brad, that was good, man.
2: God. It's not even yeah. my favorite movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. All right, next question, Brad.
2: Uh, who is your favorite Ninja Turtle and why?
3: Raphael, because of anger issues.
2: Wow. <laughs> the angsty teen picks Raphael. Who could have seen coming? Yes.
0: <laughs> Big surprise there. Yeah. Okay. Ha- Go ahead.
2: I was going to say, have you seen the original 1989 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Angelica? Mm.
3: I don't think
2: I have. It's actually really good. And it Raphael's probably like the crux of the whole plot. So, um, yeah, I think you should check it out. It holds up to revisit. It holds up quite well, actually.
0: Yes. Uh, and I believe golden harvest produced that one too. So Jackie Chan's affiliated to that one. Okay. (laughs) So, um, okay. Next question If Hollywood made a movie about your life. Who would you like to see play the lead role as you?
3: margot robbie because she's the only one that could play crazy you, like for me so you're, you're Har- crazy
1: you're harley quinn yes,
3: yes exactly <laughs> i have the gymnast background i have the psychology background like we just line up to perfectly
0: all right and, and she is a little bit off her rocker I'll, I'll i'll give you that i mean i grew up in this family but this is true yeah all right next one
2: uh which film most accurately describes what it's like being a teenager in 2020?
3: V for Vendetta because of anarchy.
0: <laughs> wow. Wow.
3: Okay. I thought
2: maybe you'd say like book smart or something like that, but wow. Yeah, oh my I god,
0: was, no. Was like uh maybe Breakfast Club, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. V for Vendetta, huh? Yeah. So you you like that film?
3: Yes, it was really good.
0: I just I didn't expect that one. Okay. okay. That's a very pointed <laughs> answer. <laughs> um okay last one i guess uh coming from me what is your favorite movie bomb that you recommend to everybody so it's the film that it came out it didn't do well uh probably bombed at the box office or has you know bad reviews mm-hmm. but i mean it, it's just it's a good movie it's the one you champion
3: i would say elvira mistress of the dark
0: wow have you seen that, Brad?
2: I have not. I am not an Elvira person, so...
3: Oh, my God. We can't be friends.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're five minutes into the podcast, and Angel and <laughs> <get my> <sighs> no, you No, you actually met Elvira, correct?
3: Yeah, I've met her, I think, twice now. Mm-hmm. And she's really cool.
0: Now, uh, Elvira, you know from sort of her hosting gig, right? The Cheesy Scary Movies. hmm So, that was obviously, you grew up on those, and little backstory, like I, I can tell you my favorite times are doing the uh, forts.
3: Yeah, we'd make forts and put up the little TV and watch Elvira.
0: Yes, um, and to give you a little backstory, we, we had this uh, one fort we made one night, and um, I have we fall asleep in it, right? I can't remember how old you are. You had to be like six or seven. I, no.
3: No, I had pro- to be older.
0: Yeah, you had maybe nine or ten. I think yeah. Cameron was five, so it would made you eight. Yeah. So Cameron falls asleep on the left side of me. Um, angel falls asleep on the right and I forgot what Elvira cheesy movie but you you guys fell asleep I'm mm-hmm. the one watching it we're in this we're in this fort um and angel just in the middle of the night and she wasn't awake when she did this but she reaches over and grabs my hair and then punches me in the face <laughs> you probably deserved it <laughs> yeah. I did not deserve it, <laughs> but um, every time you, you talk about Elvira, that's the memory that comes to mind is when you made my eyes water from that punch, and I'm then glad. you just rolled back to sleep.
3: I'm glad that's the memory you have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, Brad, what what are we going to talk about tonight? This, this was my pick, uh, and this was on the original list, I think, when we were coming up for the podcast, right?
2: We are talking about... Yeah, so it was literally... Our kind of genesis for the show was... Ghostbusters 2, and this was, like, another one we had talked about originally, like, we have to do this early on. Um, it's the 2007 David Fincher murder, horror, thriller film, um, Zodiac, um, starring a bunch of people you know. Um, but, Troy, I have the surprise for you.
0: Uh-oh. What you you always, I love the surprises. Okay. Go for it.
2: So, we got our first email from someone. Oh, Sweet. Okay.
0: Listener feedback.
2: Yes. Uh, This is Ben from California. Hi, Uh, Ben. uh, Stay safe uh, in California, Ben. I hope you're, like, away from all the fires. Um, I just wanted to express how much I'm loving the show. I want to say, and sorry, Brad, that I stumbled across your podcast after I heard Remo Williams was coming to Prime, which, (laughs) (laughs) Remo Williams is on Prime now. Did you know that?
0: Yes. Check it out, because it's an amazing film.
2: Uh, I have to say I agree with Troy 100%. That movie rocks.
0: 100%. Not <clears throat> not like 80 or 90, yeah, Brad. 100. I know.
2: I don't know. I learn more about people every day. And I, I just... <laughs> Anyway, I keep uh, hearing you guys ask guests what actor they would want to play them in a movie. So let's hear what Brad and Troy have to say to that question. Also, any movie tattoos in the group? Keep up the awesome work, and I can't wait to hear more episodes.
0: Oh, all right, I'm Troy. Jackie Chan
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, probably Jackie Chan <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> what were you expecting? Well yeah. now, I mean, um oh, that's a hard question so there's there's always two actors that um everybody says oh, that yeah. they rem they I, I guess they remind me of them, um, and the first one's specific and it it actually ties to the last episode uh with the nice guys for the longest time when a beautiful mind came out uh, and a lot of people were like, wow, you, you kind of look like Russell Crow. Um, and oh. then I, I also get uh, a lot of, you remind me of, and I'm, I'm I hope I get the actor's name right. Is it Jason Sudeikis? Who is Oh, Sudeikis? Yeah. Sudeikis meet, meet the Millers.
2: Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, here's a, here's a fine point. You aged way better than Russell Crowe did. So <laughs>
0: that's true. <laughs> Um, but I'll probably go with uh, I, I don't know Angel. I'll ask you of this I, between Russell and Jason. I I think I'm more Jason.
1: Yeah,
2: okay. Sedakus, Yeah, I get that. Yeah.
0: Okay, so that that's my pick.
2: Uh, do you have any tattoos at all, Troy? At all?
0: Um. Well, <laughs> <laughs> tattoos involve needles and oh. that really hurts. But that doesn't mean I haven't had tattoos. I like to get the the ones where you use the washcloth. And I always, anytime I see like the Avengers ones with a Hulk uh, or Hawkeye, I like to get those tattoos and wear those around, but they don't last very long.
2: <laughs> what about Angel? Do you have any tattoos? Do you want to express to your father right now?
3: <laughs> I'm actually getting a tattoo in like a month. Nice. He's not very happy let's, about it. Let's not talk about this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh,
2: okay. So for me, um, This is a weird, but I get it. So my wife and I, a few years ago, were leaving the movie theater and she was going to the bathroom and I was waiting for her outside. And so I sat on this, like one of those metal benches and somebody sat down next to me and was like, hey, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And then they started going into this thing about how much they loved Argo, the movie. And I was like, yeah, I really like that movie too. Well, he thought that I was Ben Affleck. So he was really like, getting into a conversation with me about Argo and he I had to tell him that I'm sorry sir, I I'm not I was not in that movie, but uh, Ben Affleck would be my choice. <laughs> you have um, been
0: mistaken as Ben I see that though. Yeah, I, I totally did. see that. Yeah. Now um, I want you to dress up as Batman for October. Okay,
2: I can do that. Um
0: yeah. can you do the voice like do a mm, Ben Affleck Batman voice? No, no. Oh
2: um, all right. um, also for the tattoo I, I yes, I have a I have a Death Star Tattoo right there on my forearm. I don't know if you can oh, see that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah,
0: I, I, yeah. I, know, I knew that.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, yeah, but I've got numerous other ones, but that's the only movie related one. That's so. a
0: cool tattoo, Angel. Did you see that? Star yeah. Wars I'm going to cool get tat- a
3: Harley Quinn tattoo, too.
0: Okay, that's fine. All right. I'm cool. With <laughs>
2: she that. said, too, like, as well. Like, I'm
0: going to get one tattoo yeah. and then another. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. See, hey, I've got. If you listen, I mean, oh, <laughs> you've got a so, lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um,. Anyway, okay. Uh, yeah, no, as as most listeners know, like we we got to get through the first 5 or 6 minutes and we loosen up a little bit. Um because man, intros are so hard, but thanks for playing <laughs> along with the questions. Um Ben, thank you for sending that feedback and those questions. Yeah. Um those were good questions. I I don't think I've ever been asked that. But that was cool. Um all right, back to the depressing stuff, right? Zodiac 2007? Yes. Uh this this was my pick. I I think Fincher gets a lot of love for a lot of movies. Uh, he's, he's a fantastic American director. Um, and I, I think when his name comes up, it's, you know, if, if you're talking cult movies, it's usually seven fight club. Um, a lot of people gravitate to social network. Curious case of, uh, Benjamin button. Ugh. And, yeah, and, and for me, um, a couple of films that always get glossed over kind of come from his early two thousands and it's, and it's panic room and Zodiac. Uh, and Zodiac to me, I think, is one of the blueprints um for a lot of and I, I don't know how much you watch um South Korean film, but if you if you watch a lot of um South Korean directors, I, I think like Zodiac becomes a blueprint for some of those um, you know, serial killer movies that come out over there. And I, I think it did influence that genre mm-hmm. in a big way. Yeah, but I'll have Brad... to take your word on that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just you know go go look at anything like the chaser is a good example or um oh what's the other one um i can't think of it all i, I didn't prepare the notes uh chaser is the one that comes to mind um but this one when it came out uh it it didn't do so well in the u.s now i think overall in the world it kind of squeaked out a small profit So yeah. brad how how did it do um in terms of the box office numbers when it came out
2: so, budget comes in around $65 million, which, with all these people in this movie, and it's two and a half hours long, to make this movie for $65 million is astonishing to me. Um, makes $33 million domestically, about fifty-one million um, internationally. So, it does pretty well. I know France uh, was a big, um, made a lot of money in France and England. Um, brings in about 85 dollars um, million. I've seen the budget... Actually estimated somewhere between, anywhere between 65 and 85. Um, so anyway, it's close. Uh, I'm sure um, Paramount, when they wrote the check for $65 million and they had David Fincher and um, all these other actors involved, they thought they were going to be cashing a big check at the end of it. Um, I know it comes out in March, um, but did you see the originally... It was supposed to be a fall of 06 release. Um, yes. David David Fincher had final cut on the film. Um, his first uh, cut was three hours long. Um, <laughs> he decides that's probably not the best. Uh, takes a little bit more time. Uh, cuts it down to 235-ish. Um, and then releases it... Um, well, tentatively it's supposed to be released at the end of January in 07. Which... <clears throat> So I always thought January and February were, A.K.A. dumping grounds for films for the most part. So yeah, any tra- film
0: trad- traditionally it is. I mean, yeah. and again the whole models change now because if you think about it, summer movies used to start towards the end of May. Now it's and April. Kind of wrap up. <laughs> yeah, now it starts in April. Yeah. Um, and you get this release schedule now where for Oscar contenders you get films coming out in like November, December in limited release and then January and February it goes to wide release, you know, obviously when some of these films are getting some mention from award shows, et cetera. Uh, but you know, in, in the past, and I would still say it stands, um, to be the same today that January and February, uh, and also kind of early fall is just dumping ground, right? Oh yeah. It, it's where the studios don't feel like they're going to put a lot of marketing behind it. And, um, they're just going to put it out there and see how it does.
2: For sure. For sure. Um, so comes out March second. Um and actually this March is actually pretty loaded with some good movies. Um we have Black Snake Mo- Black Snake Moan, um comes out the same day, as well as Wild Hogs, which <laughs> which that movie makes um three hundred and forty seven million dollars. Um
0: yeah. Now that came out on the same weekend as Zodiac, right? Yeah. Uh, march second,
2: okay. so same weekend. Okay. Uh, 300 comes out the weekend after that. Um,
0: Didn't stand a chance. Yeah, did not stand <laughs> a
2: chance. Um, and then it's a bunch of, you know, you have Dead Silence, um, which is a Blumhouse, like maybe one of the first Blumhouse films. Mm-hmm. Um, A movie called Premonition, which I don't remember, but I know it's another horror movie. Um, And then that's pretty much it. TMNT comes out at the end of... March as well. Um, the Hills have eyes too. So, you know, Oh, blades of glory. Yeah. So also I looked up the, where Zodiac stands domestically for all films released in 2007. Where would you guess that it would fall?
0: Well, it's, it's domestic run, I think tapped out at like 30, 33 million. Yeah. Is that 33 right? million. yeah so probably for that year, uh, did it break the top 20? I'll say 25. No, you're not even close. Really? <laughs> it comes in at 77. So, wow. 77th for the year. What was what was number one for that year?
2: Oh, the, I mean, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, Spider-Man 3, not... Shrek the Third, Transformers, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Harry Potter, and the Order of the Phoenix, uh born ultimatum. But oh, okay. s- some of the films that it got beat by, you'll like this. Epic movie, <laughs> underdog. Oh like my the, god,
3: I remember that movie. Yeah.
2: Why did I get married? Fred Claus and I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry.
0: It, wait, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Made more money than Zodiac. Oh, like way more. You know what?
2: Yeah. Internet. That's why this we can't is have why nice the world things.
0: is messed up. I know. Because of stuff like that. Yeah. Everybody needs to stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now. That's me being preachy, I know, but stop that, people. Um, that's no. crazy to me. And you know what? I I thought this was odd, so... I now pronounce um, you Chuck
2: and Larry made $120 million.
0: Oh, my <laughs> God. he's <Jiminy's laughs> Christmas. All right. Well, there you go. That's why the world's messed up. Yeah. Um, it, I, it, it's for Zodiac. So it's a David Fincher film. It, it's got a powerhouse cast. And the first thing that I always I always do this every time I watch it... Afterwards I'm like, oh man, I, I can't remember what it got nominated for at the Academy Awards. You know what it got nominated for? Uh
2: absolutely nothing.
0: Yeah, Jack. Yeah. Nothing. Zero. Now it showed up on a lot of top ten lists for the year. Um and it got a lot of, you know, nominations and awards through, you know, film Fest, Saturn Awards, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it it just amazes me that this film um really didn't crack anything to in terms be of the major fair awards. I think oh,
2: 2007 yes. is one of the best years for movies period.
0: Yes. Have... So that year, can you remember can you name all of the best pictures for 2007?
2: Uh okay, so I know it's There Will Be Blood. Um No Country for Old Men obviously. Uh Michael Clayton.
0: Yes. Yep. Uh Atonement? Oh, yep. You're you're almost there.
2: I am not going to get the fifth one because I think the fifth one's like a, what is that?
0: Uh... Think Diablo Cody.
2: Oh, Juno.
0: Yep. Yeah. So you got No Country for Old Men, Juno, Michael Clayton, There Will Be Blood, and Atonement. So from a best picture perspective, um, yeah, it was it wasn't going to crack. <laughs> now that one.
2: At least I thought. Oh, it's going to be best adapted screenplay, obviously, right? Like that mm-hmm. would be the one you would go to, right?
0: Or supporting actor for um, well, would Ruffalo be supporting actor, or main actor, or Jolene Hall? Uh,
2: Jolene Hall, yeah. So I think supporting would be Ruffalo for sure.
0: Okay. Yeah. Nothing.
2: Nothing. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. So
0: it, when when you talk about that, and again, this is hindsight. So you have Robert Downey Jr. So you know Robert Downey Jr. Right, Angel? <laughs>
3: no,
0: who is he? He's he's uh, the Tin Man guy. Iron Man, gotcha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Iron Man, right? So yeah. Mark Ruffalo is the Hulk. The Hulk, right? Um, Jake Gyllenhaal. He
3: was Mysterio.
0: Mysterio, correct. Um, so everybody would look at the cast today, right? And and you would say, "Wow, what what a huge cast." Yeah. Um, but let let's talk about what this cast was doing about this time in two thousand seven, and I'm curious, Angel, if you. I think I know the answers to some of these, but I don't know if you've seen a lot of these films. So, let's talk about Jake Gyllenhaal first. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I, I, you would kind of cast him as the anchor of the entire film. Is that, is that accurate? Well, right? yeah.
2: He's based on the author of the book that this movie is based on, so yes.
0: Yes. So, Jake Gyllenhaal, he's, he, he actually is a pretty high caliber actor, you know, at this time period. So, Leading up to Zodiac, he had done Brokeback Mountain in 2005 with Heath Ledger. So, powerful film. Just amazing. Have you seen that yet? Have I shown you that one? because I was three. Okay, true. (laughs) We didn't do that one. Um, Proof in 2005. He also did Jarhead in 2005. Oh, boy, that's
2: a sleeper of a movie.
0: Yeah. Then comes out with Zodiac and then follows Zodiac with Rendition in 2007 and Brothers in 2009. So, um he is very much flexing his dramatic chops at this time period, right? But but none of these are huge hits. I mean they're they're critical darlings, you know, for most of them and Brokeback Mountain obviously was um making a lot of uh uh Oscar rounds the year it came out, right? Yeah. Um
2: Well, the subject matter, I don't know if the actually Troy Brokeback Mountain made $178 million. Well
0: there you go. It was a huge hit, right? Yeah. So um, Robert Downey Jr. Now we talked about this last week when we were discussing the night got nice guys. Cause in 2007, um, I don't think, you know, Robert Downey Jr. Wasn't the movie star that he was today. Yeah. Cause so, Iron
2: Man is 08. So we're talking. Iron Man yeah. is
0: 2008. Right. Um, but he did do kiss, kiss, bang, bang in 2005. I know you've seen that yeah. one. Um, that's like a, a big film for the family. We love that one um good night and good luck in 2005 a guide to recognizing your Sates in 2006 if you haven't seen that it's a fantastic fantastic movie. yep um he's kind of he doesn't really have a big part in that it, it definitely is a supporting role he does the shaggy dog in 2006 which i think is a disney remake the what the, the shaggy, shaggy dog it's, it's the guy who turns into like a, the dog right mm. oh and it's, yeah, it's shaggy that. yeah <laughs> i'm sure you saw that one <laughs> A Scanner Darkly, based on Philip K. Dick in 2006, does Zodiac. Follows Zodiac up, obviously with Iron Man, and, and then, now he's the Robert Downey Jr. we have yeah. today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Mark Ruffalo has an interesting uh, career about this time period. He's in 2005's. Rumor has it was that the Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer film?
2: Aniston, yeah.
0: Okay, All the King's Men in 2006, um, which is uh, I, I don't think I saw it, but I mean it's a it's a is that a courtroom drama or no? I don't know. Yeah, I can't... Uh, Zodiac in 2007, Reservation Road in 2007, Blindness in 2008, and The Brothers Bloom in 2008.
2: Oh, man, The Brothers Bloom is so good.
0: Yeah, it is. But, you know, if if you look at those three, um, just they're, they're the stars of the film, I think we would say.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Jake Gyllenhaal has probably got the best career going right now compared to Robert Downey Jr. leading up to Zodiac. Oh, for sure. Is that fair? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um and then the others in it. It's it's a great supporting cast. Anthony Edwards is Inspector William Armstrong. Now most people know him from ER, but all I gotta say is Revenge of the Nerds. So that's <laughs> before Zodiac, he did Revenge of the Nerds. That's all we need to know. Um Brian And Re- Cox, Revenge of the Nerds too. Oh yes, Revenge of the Nerds. The Just sequel. brief, yeah. Brian Cox is in it. Um John Carroll Lynch as Arthur Lee Allen. Uh, Chloe, Chloe, here we go. Here's, mm-hmm. I'm gonna start mm-hmm. bur- butchering it now. Here we out. go. Um, Chloe Sivigny so,
2: Yeah, I don't. Actually, I don't even
0: know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Eli Coteas. Oh, uh, Casey oh. from um, Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah. Turtles. Elias Coteas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Eli. Yes, that guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dermot Mulroney as Captain Marty Lee. So again, um, it's a great cast. But for 2007, it makes total sense why it's not a box office draw based on the cast itself, other than maybe Jake Gyllenhaal.
2: Yeah, but I mean, I it wasn't like Fincher was a nobody in 2007 either, though.
0: I mean, he he wasn't. I, I mean, you you would have to say he was he was the the thing that they were marketing to, correct?
2: Yeah, because he mm-hmm. it, it actually was Panic Room was O two this is five years later. Was his next feature film after Panic Room, right?
0: Just, yeah, and yeah. you know Fincher, his filmography does it. He, so he does music videos, right? Yes. Um, he's doing a ton of videos in eighties and nineties. Madonna,
2: it, pre- predominantly.
0: Well, yeah, that and Nine Inch Nails, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so um, comes out with Alien 3 in 1992. Now, I know you've seen, like, every one of the Alien films. Yes. I don't know if you remember this one. This is when they crash land on a penal colony. Sigourney Weaver shaves her head. It's weird. It comes out of her at the end. It's kind of uh, weird. Yeah. Okay. But it, I kind of like it. I, I, I enjoy the heck I out of it. I kind of like it. it. And even, even, you know, Fincher's director's cut's good, too. Yeah. Uh, I like the theatrical one, too. Um, so Alien 3 goes to 7 in 1995. Now, I found this interesting. Angel, what would you think of 7?
3: I didn't like Seven.
0: She didn't like Seven. Wow! Seven! I was
3: not impressed.
0: Oh. Why? Why were you not impressed with Seven?
3: I'm going to sound like a crazy person. So, like, at the end, when it's like, what's in the box? I'm like, oh. And when my head goes to, it's going to be the unborn fetus. Oh, well.
0: Yeah, so when there's a head, I, I guess she was let down.
3: She was like, let like, down. Oh,
0: okay, <laughs> the head.
3: It's whatever.
0: I, I find that interesting, though, because, um you know, here's somebody, her favorite film is Thing from Another World. Um, obviously you, you've got a very, um, worldly palette in terms of film. Yeah. So you only ran across seven this year, right? I think you and Brian watched no, it. No, I
3: watched it when I was younger. It's just, I didn't remember much about it.
0: Okay. But you, you rediscovered it. Yeah. I
3: watched it again. I was not, I was just like, oh, okay. Like, it's like I I, I right.
2: love seven so much. It was one of those movies when I first saw it, I was just blown away.
0: I was... I think a lot of people probably are. 12 but I, or
2: 13 I, when I first saw that and was just like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, it, so would, it, it's interesting. I mean, here's somebody, 18, has seen a lot of movies. Well, if they come to seven late in the game, how awesome is it then? It's, you know, again, it's a, probably a question for another podcast, but um, he follows that up with the game. I know you haven't seen that. 1997, Michael Douglas, Sean Penn. Um, Fight Club, 99, Brad Pitt, Ed Norton. Uh, I, I think that's when, you know, Seven really, he came onto this, to the scene big time. Yes.
2: I mean, yeah. Fight Club was one of the biggest movies of all time.
0: It It is. I mean, well, it, it wasn't initially. I mean, it, be, it became, it became that. It became that, but it, it's so funny that to do Seven, The Game, and Fight Club, I mean, there, there's three films right there that are, they're pretty, you know, freaking fantastic. Follows Fight Club up with Panic Room, which, um, I love Panic Room. I think I, I think it's yes, so good.
2: I I agree. I like that. You know, a lot of times the movies become too big, um, and now you're in a house, and it's. I, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. It's tense. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. Does Zodiac in 2007? He he kind of switches gears a little bit. Does Curious Case of Benjamin Button? Now you made like a disgruntled. I hate. I, don't like I that hate film.
2: that movie. That's <laughs> his you only. Hate that movie. That's his only miss for me. I just do not like it. At all.
0: Uh, What's your thought on that one?
3: Is that the guy that, like... Ages
2: ages backwards.
3: Backwards? Yeah. I don't think I saw it. Oh, you didn't? No.
0: Okay, we'll we'll correct that one. Brad's wrong, so don't listen to Uncle Brad. (laughs) But but I look a lot older. (laughs) 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 Um, Social Network, 2010. Amazing film. Best film of the decade. So good. Um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, 2011.
3: I remember when that came out.
0: Yeah, now... (laughs) this one I'm kind of lukewarm on just because of my love for the original trilogy. Um, to me that, that's kind of his misfire for me a little bit.
2: Okay. Um, it's, uh, some of those scenes are tough to watch in the girl with the dragon tattoo. I know it's supposed to be in the revenge factor is, is huge in that movie, but boy, some of those, uh, some of those rape scenes are a, bit much i know i know it's surprising right that watching rape scenes is uncomfortable but you
0: know. <laughs> yeah that is shocking isn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then follows that up with gone girl which which is fantastic which i star out. in so i have to like <laughs> yes you love gone girl um i'll have to get your your autograph later but that that's a pretty impressive resume of films he's got something that i think is supposed to come out this year um i found this yeah, interesting. It's, the, so, it's the
2: citizen kane movie right
0: yeah, I think so, yeah. um, and it, uh, I cannot remember what it was called, but yeah, it's, it's, it centers around um, Citizen Kane and sort of the rights of Citizen Kane, yeah. right? Somebody yeah. taking credit for it? Um, the screenplay is done by James Vanderbilt. Now, it's based on, and I think you uh, talked about this already, Robert Graysmith wrote a book, Zodiac and, and Zodiac Unmasked, after that. Angel's got tons of notes on it, so it'll be very interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, that, That's where the source material comes from, but it's um, James Vanderbilt who wrote the screenplay. Now, I looked up James Vanderbilt. The Zodiac is all pre-Marvel, so if you think about like the people in front of the camera who are all in Marvel movies now, even the screenwriter wrote the screenplay for Amazing Spider-Man. Um, he also wrote the screenplay for The Losers, which is, I believe, a DC adaptation or Vertigo. So that's the one with um, Chris Evans and, uh, is, is it Zoe? Uh, Zaldana. Zaldana, that's yeah. right. Oh, and
2: J- uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is in that, right? Jeffrey Dean Morgan.
0: Yeah. We might have to talk about that one. I don't yeah. I think that one bombed, and I, I, that one's fun. Um, and this, I thought, was interesting. He did one of my <laughs> – to me, he he wrote the screenplay to The Rock's best film of all time, The Rundown, in 2003, with oh. Christopher Walken. Okay. So, that's a Peter Berg film, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and then, you know, the other interesting thing, cinematography-wise, I, I when you watch this film, you go, wow, the, the shots are just fantastic. Compositions, you know, is amazing to look at some of the overhead shots. But mm-hmm. um, Harry Savitas is the cinematographer. I went back and looked at his resume. Zodiac is probably the only film I've seen him do. I mean, he's he's got to... A lot of movies under his belt, but nothing that just, you know, he did, sticks out.
2: He did The Game, and I know he did Milk as well.
0: Yeah, but I mean, okay. that's... Outside of that, he, he he didn't turn into a Dean Cundey or anything like that. So. Well,
2: unfortunately, he died of brain cancer, I believe, and...
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I feel like an ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me asking somebody to do more, and they can't. Yeah. Okay. I
3: don't get why you're not this great. <laughs> oh I died.
2: I, di- <laughs> I died in 2004. 2000- it's been a while, so.
0: Okay, well that oh you get a pass there. All right. <laughs> so I I feel like um we can't talk about the film. We can't go into thoughts of the film. I I think it's obvious why this kind of bombed out of the gate. You get a March release. Um the people in front of the camera are not huge box office draws except yeah. maybe Jake Gyllenhaal. Um Fincher's name is sitting out there and attached to it. And he's the big draw. But I I can totally understand where this was a bit set up for failure. It's two and a half hours long. It's two and a half hours long. (laughs) You got to commit to this one, right? Yep. Um, It it is some very depressing material. But I I don't think we can talk about it unless we do a little bit of discussion first about the actual Zodiac case. So what... The reason why Angel was such a fantastic choice to come on the show is, um, you know, like she said, she has a fascination with psychology. When we watched Mindhunter, she just dove right into it. Yeah. Um, I believe you were, like, researching all of the the Kemper and the BTK, all this stuff. You, you were looking that stuff up to kind of find out more of the backstory of the characters that they were introducing within the show, right?
3: Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting, like, to look at a serial killer instead of just going, oh, that's a monster. Like the psychology behind it and learn, instead of just like, oh, you did this, like, why did you do it? Because, like, one of the biggest questions you can ask is why.
0: Right. And everybody asks, like, not just why, but who in this case, right? Yeah,
3: because you still don't know.
0: So um, Angel had really just, as soon as she watched the film, um, and before we get into the thoughts of it, this is one of those films that immediately she just went out and started doing tons of research on. Um, and you put together a little bit of a timeline. So before we talk about the film, let's go through the events of so Zod- the, the Zodiac case, right? So Angel, when does this actually kick off in real life?
3: So the first confirmed murder of the Zodiac killer was in December 20th, 1968. It was David and Betty shot and killed at Lake Herman Road in Benica? Benicia. Benicia. Yep. So that was the first killer. And after this happened, they looked into it as just like a normal killing. Like they're like, oh, it's the husband. It's the ex, whatever. Not but ju-
2: not depicted mm-hmm. in the movie. In, in, yeah,
3: it, this okay. isn't even mentioned in the movie. It's
2: not. Well.
0: Exactly. He mentioned, it's mentioned in the movie. It's
3: mentioned, but it's not shown like the yes,
0: killing.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. And then the second killing was July 4th, 1969. It was uh, Mitchell and Darlene shot in a Blue Blue Rock Springs Park. And Mitchell survived. But, like, this is the first murder in the movie. Yes. It's shown in the car and everything.
0: This is where the Zodiac um, calls in.
3: Yeah, he calls in the murder. Yes. And he was like, I'd like to report a murder, and I also claim the murder for the two kids last year.
0: Right. Goodbye. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's really weird. Yes. Um, And then... It's not not After the police start investigating this, this is when the newspaper starts to get involved, right?
3: Yeah, because he sends in the cipher in a letter saying from... He doesn't say his name is Zodiac yet, but he sends it to three places and sa- makes them put it in the newspaper. They put out these ciphers because they can't figure it out. Then this history couple, like history teacher, cracked the cipher, and it's the only cipher that's ever been cracked. And it's like, oh, I like killing, and talks about dangerous game, the film, the film, mm-hmm. and so that came out. And then there was another stabbing, not shooting, at a lake, Berryessa. and it was Brian and Cecilia, but uh, Brian survived.
0: Yeah. So this, so we get, 1968, the first killing in July of 1969. July 4th is Um, Michael and Darlene. Uh, Michael survives. The Zodiac contacts the newspaper in August. Then soon after contacting about a month later, then follows that up with a stabbing. And again, these two murders specifically involve a couple, and in both instances, the female dies and the man lives.
3: Yeah, because the first murder both die, but the last two, the man lives.
0: Right, and the first murder... Um, The couple is shot.
3: Yeah. The first two murders, it's a shooting. Then the third one's a stabbing. Then the last one, which is the cab driver, Paul, he's shot to death.
0: And that's in October.
3: Yeah, that's October, literally another month later after the last one. And that's actually all the Zodiac has been confirmed to kill. Because they only gave him five killings, even though he claimed, like, 37 And then, in October 15th, 1969, he sends a letter claiming for credit for uh, Paul's killing and sends a bloody piece of Paul's shirt. And that's when he first uses the name Zodiac.
0: And then, not so soon after that, October 22nd, um, this is when, now... You've got this highlight. So Angel's notes. Not only did she type them up, and she starts <laughs> highlighting and puts keys next to it. I, I wish everybody could see this. It's a um, cipher it, of itself. Yes. <laughs> if, if you follow us on Twitter, I think I posted a uh, picture of this. Um, but a man claiming to be the Zodiac calls the Oakland Police Department, saying he wants to talk to the prominent San Francisco attorney, Melvin Belly, on the air on a TV talk show. So how does this go down, Angel?
3: So... The, they end up. It's shown in the movie. They end up going to the talk show, and this man calls in. The people who survived the Zodiac say it doesn't sound like his voice, and they say they're going to meet up with him. He doesn't show. Police find out it's just some calling from a mental institution, and the police determine it was not the Zodiac.
0: Yep. And then a month later, in November, what does he do?
3: He claims credit for two more murders, but police will only attribute five.
0: And he. I I think, sends in another cryptogram, correct?
3: Yeah, it's another cryptogram, but no one ever cracks it.
0: Okay. And then December 27th, 1969. 1969 is a busy year for him. (laughs) Yeah,
3: he was very busy. (laughs) Um, A a letter was received by... Belly? Belly? Mm -hmm. The attorney? Oh, yeah. And from the Zodiac. And he says, please help, I'm drowning. So he He misspells drowning, right? And it has another piece of the blood so... Plot from Paul. And then there's a shooting of a cab driver in January 25th, 1970. And the cab company's like, oh, it's the Zodiac. Sends out a hundred, thousand a dollar reward for the information for the Zodiac. But police are like, no, this is just some shooting. It wasn't the Zodiac.
0: Now, this, this doesn't show up in the film. No, it's not mentioned. Right. Um, I think the next event that pops up um, in the film takes place in March of 1970, right? So what happens in this incident?
3: So in this incident, uh, Kathleen was 22 with her baby in the car driving. And this guy pulls up behind her, flashing his lights. He's like, oh, there's something wrong with your back tire. It's shown in the film. He loosens it. Tire falls off. Drives him around for a few hours. And she ends up jumping out the car to get away because, like, this dude's about to kill her. And... The Zodiac eventually later on sends a letter to the Chronicle claiming credit for this incident. But she got away and was safe with her child, thank God.
0: Yeah, and, and so some of the next events I think you have here, they they, I believe are mentioned in the film, but there's not a lot of um, attention to it. So that happens in March. Then in April of 1970, he sends another letter to the Chronicle, right? Yeah, he and,
3: claims to have killed 10 people now. So he's
0: up to 10. And then ends the letter with, P.S., I hope you have fun trying to figure out who I killed. Yeah. Um, Lays dormant for a little bit, pops back up in October, mm-hmm. and then sends a postcard to the Chronicle.
3: Yeah, it has 13 holes punched in it. He says his death toll is up to 13.
0: Yes, so he's claiming 13 people now in 1970. Um, And then also that same month, what happens?
3: He sends, it's shown in the movie, uh... Paul Avery, the crime reporter, receives a Halloween card and says, you're doomed, and it, I think, has a piece of cloth in the card to confirm it. It's seen in the movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, then a month later, they run uh, the Chronicle, and again, this isn't in the film. We're talking about the chronology here. Uh, runs a story pointing out similarities between the Zodiac killings and a 1966 murder at UC Riverside uh, involving a student, uh, Cherry jo B- Sherry Jo Bates, Um, but police don't confirm this to be part of the Zodiac, correct?
3: Yeah, it's, they think it's completely separate. So
0: this is just the newspaper running an article trying to do a comparison, doing their own investigative journalism, right? Don't, nothing really happens until March 1971. What happens in March?
3: Um, the Chronicle reports that the Los Angeles Times has received a letter from the Zodiac who has been silent for five months. He now claims 17 victims and says the Bates murder was his doing. So he's just kind of... Going around claiming all these murders that he was actually never proven for, so it's probably for attention
0: is yeah, what I think. At, at this point he's he's how do we say this? He's he's openly communicating yeah. with as many people who are gonna listen. Um, but nothing has been confirmed as uh his direct involvement at this point. It's just somebody who's sending in letters, says I'm a Zodiac Killer. And I'm 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 killing all these people. And by March of uh, 1971, he's up to 17 victims. Mm-hmm. Also in March, um, 1971. So just uh, about 10 days after, he sends what becomes known as the Peak Through the Pines postcard to the Chronicle. So what does that mean?
3: So it was referring to the killing of Donna Lass, a nurse who went to the South Lake Tahoe in September 1970. She was never found and is not officially considered a zodiac victim
0: okay so it's just another Another communication that goes out another um you know homicide that occurs and he says i did that too yeah uh now 1971 is very interesting because december of that year what comes out
3: it was dirty harry who is based loosely based off the zodiac killings comes out
0: uh now you didn't get a chance to watch dirty Harry no, this week right i did not I, I did brad did did you take a gander at it it they they show clips of it in the film and there's um there's a point uh where the san Fr- San francisco police department are kind of there for a viewing um but did, did you happen i, to did, I did not and... no okay <clears throat> i you've seen it though right
2: yes yeah it's been a while okay. but yeah
0: yeah, when we talk about the film, I want to talk about Dirty Harry, too, because I think it's very interesting, um, Hollywood's perspective on this. But I think it also has a lot to do with in 1971, um, you, you know, at the end of the year, you have a prolific serial killer communicating to the public for, what, you know, a couple of years now? Yeah. And now Hollywood takes aspects of that and incorporates it into a film. Now one of the detectives um played by Mark Ruffalo in the film which is detective um Toski. Yeah. He's he's kind of known in Hollywood because he becomes the inspiration not just for Dirty Harry but people also know him from uh Bullet with Steve McQueen. Cuz Steve McQueen based his character on that detective as well. So he's a pretty high profile detective not just from the public but also, you know, Hollywood has an interest in him. But the Zodiac case still isn't over, right? So that's just yeah, going no. up to 1971. 1974 comes around. What happens then?
3: So the Chronicle reports it's received a letter from the Zodiac the first in nearly three years and he claims 37 victims.
0: So (laughs) 37 is the count. Um, Four years go by, then what happens? So we're in 1978.
3: Toshi, is that how you say it? Toski. Toski receives a letter from the Zodiac saying like, he's good, but I'm smarter. Kind of like joking around with the detective showing like oh you can't catch me you think you're so great but
0: well the chronicle received the letter but it references toski yeah and i believe this is the letter and they do kind of talk about this in the film this is the letter that toski um is investigated for from internal affairs because they think he sent it in
3: yeah he thinks he sent it in just to get like some fame from it because he was being talked about
0: well and he had sent some letters in and i can't remember all the details of it to kind of um, boost up his um, public persona yeah because he he was you know very popular from the movies about him and everything else and obviously you know this case was high profile for him as well um and he did admit to sending some anonymous letters kind of um i I can't remember who it was to yeah but not this one not this one no this this is the one he didn't send so 1978 we really it doesn't come up again until 1986 what happens in 86
3: uh in 86 uh graysmith comes out with his book and then it kind of both books that he writes 1986 being the zodiac and 2002 being zodiac unmasked kind of goes around arthur lee allen being the killer but police to this day can do consider allen as a suspect but there's a lot later on we'll talk about that proves he kind of not
0: yeah, and I think it's Zodiac Unmasked in 2002 where he really lays it on thick and, yeah. and points the finger um, at Allen. Um, 1996, man, this thing is still going, right? <laughs> yeah. So what happens in '96?
3: Um, San Francisco police detectives announced they're looking into improbable possibility that Una Bomber, the Unabomber. The Unabomber. Unabomber. Yes. Suspect Theodore J. Kaczynski. Kaczynski. Ted Kaczynski. Is also the Zodiac killer. <clears throat> But nothing comes of it, and he's proven not to be the Zodiac killer. And but he is convicted of being the Unabomber. 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 <laughs> Bomber. It's a bomb.
0: See, she's picked up my yeah. like uh, habits. English uh, skills. <laughs> yeah, English skills. <laughs> Did <laughs> you, you know. major in English? Hey, let's not go there. No, 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 <laughs> keep going. 2002, October 15th, Zodiac, right?
3: Uh, working with uh, DNA evidence. Homicide inspectors believe they have cleared Zodiac suspect Alan with using his DNA from the envelopes and stuff like that, but he is proven inconclusive.
0: Yeah, so what, what happens here is Alan, um, in, in the film kind of depicts this a little bit, right? The film ends with one of the survivors um, pointing to a picture of Alan and saying, that's the guy who shot me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe that's the very first um, victim that kind of kicks off the Michael, right? film. Yeah, it was Michael, right? It was Michael. So he says that Alan is the one, but the credits end, and it talks about this DNA evidence where right when the police go to have a conversation with them, Alan dies of a heart attack. Yeah. And so they they save, you know, uh, some samples of his DNA so that they can use it in the future. 2002 comes around. They take the envelopes with the technology, his DNA, Um, turns out that Alan is cleared, but in some circles, the, the evidence now is inconclusive, right? Yeah. So it doesn't point one way or another. Now the credits, I believe, um, just kind of flat out say that, that he's been exonerated and based on the DNA, but that's not totally true.
3: Yeah. The credits definitely don't tell the full story. Like they're just like, oh, he's not it. But like it never, it's like a maybe.
0: Yeah. Um, and this is still going around in April, 2004, um, what happens there?
3: Uh, the police put aside the Zodiac killer case with the amount of cases that are building up. They're like, we can't focus on it right now. So they just kind of set it aside to focus on other things, but the case is later reactivated.
0: Right. Um, 2005, they start filming the film.
3: Yep. Zodiac, Zodiac that we're talking Zodiac, about today, which then, is released in 2007. Yep. March of 2007, it's opened. Mm-hmm. And then 2018, uh... With decade-old letters, Zodiac, from the Zodiac to a forensic lab with the hope of getting a genetic profile, they try to identify a suspect, but nothing comes of it yet.
0: Yeah, so Golden State Killer, they get some more DNA techniques out there. Yeah. Um, they were able to have some success with that uh, particular research and think, okay, let's let's go back to the DNA testing, mm-hmm. see what we can find out, and um, again, nothing happens, right? Yeah. So Brad I know you had kind of done the same thing. Angel and I I know I know Angel has been on um a ton of different websites. I I had no idea the stuff that was out there. Um zodiacciphers.com, zodiacrevisited.com, dot zodiackillersite.com. There are all these websites um and forums and they're still going strong today all around the Zodiac killer um and all as you can see it starts in 1968 and it it's still active in 2020 for the most part right yeah, yeah. And, I, and i think you were listening to a podcast this week um just surrounded by that
2: yeah yeah so it was called monster the uh, zodiac killer um it's actually really really good um it's produced by iHeartRadio. radio um there's short about 30 minute episodes there's 15 um Sadly, most of the episode feels like a lot of ads, but, um, it's pretty good. It's informative. Um, it kind of lays the groundwork also. Um, cause you have to remember in 1967, um, you know, I had forgotten like hippie culture moves into San Francisco. There's like a hundred thousand new, like people just kind of migrating to San Francisco. Um, and that kind of sets off kind of this anti-culture sort of deal and that, is kind of theorized as why the Zodiac kind of starts this killing. Um, again, one of the things I know people were most afraid about is the seemingly randomness of the killing and, um, just, you know, it, it, they seem to be like no connections. So, um, yeah, I, I, it, it's something that still resonates in 2020. Um, especially, you know, when you, really don't have a whole lot to do so you're like okay i'm going to figure out who the zodiac killer is and go down these rabbit holes so
0: it and it is amazing how many theories are out there um, yeah i like
2: the one that says michael is is the guy cuz he wore too many clothes uh when he was shot so that that was my favorite one
0: the um i'll share my my probably the most interesting fact i found in doing some research on the case of it right so Angel's going through the timeline. She's putting the timeline of the murders against the um the stuff that's covered in the film. Um and is still, you know, kind of researching a lot of the modern day stuff. And and um what did we discover if, if you are studying the zodiac and it's sort of your hobby? You're a zodiacologist? Yes. Is that what it's called? Okay. And full disclosure, folks, we're only going through this because I do think um this case it obviously was a driving force for Fincher and the screenwriter. Um it, it obviously affected them. Um and, and also in preparation of the film, uh, you know, Fincher, screenwriter James Vanderbilt, producer Bradley Fischer, Fisher, they spent eighteen months conducting research in the zodiac murder. So they're there's zodiacologists for these eighteen months. And they're going around interviewing everybody. They hire private investigators even Um, to find people that they want to talk to. Um, They interview witnesses, family members, suspects, um, retired and active investigators, uh, the only two surviving victims who end up being consultants on the film Mm -hmm. um, and the mayors of San Francisco and Vallejo. Uh, And what's also interesting is because he wanted the film to be as accurate as possible, Fincher decided not to depict any of the alleged Zodiac murders for which there were no surviving victims or witnesses. So, if you want to know why Fincher says, "Hey, I'm starting with the second murder um and not the first one, from his perspective, he didn't have the right information or you know witnesses or or survivors who could actually um give him enough information that he that he could depict it accurately. I think there is also another underlying case there, but we'll talk about that when we when we consider the film yeah um but i I find it so fascinating that um This is still active. A lot of people are still coming up with theories. I got to ask, like, both of you, um, Brad, prior to the film, I mean, was Zodiac something that interested, you know, interested you or you did research on or did you know about it? I mean, I knew about it and
2: then it was like a periphery thing, but I never really kind of got deep into it. But this last week, it was kind of like Zodiac all the time. Um <laughs> cuz it's fascinating. Um and it's still unsolved and at a one point in time the whole world was obsessed with who the zodiac was. Um and even you know what are we 50 years later? Um we're still talking about it. So it's quite amazing.
0: Yeah, and Angel, I mean before the film Zodiac anything?
3: Um I think I wasn't too interested in Zodiac mostly because like With most of the big serial killers, there's like a face to it, like Ted Bundy and stuff like that. So like, it's hard, you're not hearing about it in media too much, like you do Ted Bundy on Netflix and all that, because like, they can make all these things around the serial killer and like, what Zach Efron played Ted Bundy (laughs) and stuff like that. (laughs) But like, you can make profit off having a face, but with this, you don't have a face to make profit off of.
0: Right. Um, Unless you turn it into a Hollywood version, like Dirty Harry. Yeah. Oh, in full disclosure for anybody who's like, "Wow, look at his parenting skills. His daughter's out there researching serial killers for a hobby um she's she loves psychology, she wants to go to psychology <laughs> for college, okay this yeah. is um she's not researching it for how to do it, so
3: <laughs> I, I, mean, I feel like my parenting
0: no. is being you know no. on trial right now um here's the interest- the most interesting fact out of all this stuff that I found about it, so there was a film in 1971 called The Zodiac Killer, okay? So this is coming out right before Dirty Harry. But director Tom Hansen rented the Golden Gate Theater in San Francisco and premiered the film on April 7th, 1971. So Dirty Harry comes out in December of that year, right? So he does the premiere of this film with the intention of luring the real Zodiac Killer to one of the screenings. (laughs) So what he does... Um, and Kawasaki sponsored this event um, and offered a motorcycle as a prize to the audience member who wrote the best answer, <laughs> I believe the Zodiac kills because, dot, dot, dot. So the idea was, come to this film, it's a big premiere, we're going to give a you know free motorcycle away, all you got to do is you got to fill out this, this yellow card and answer this question. So um, the yellow cards are handed out the door, everybody watches the film, they fill this out, but on site. Hansen sets up a team of people to analyze each entry for handwriting that matched that of the killer and plan to confront them in the lobby if a match was found. <laughs> that was their big stunt. Big stunt. Which makes total sense because um, I think you found something fascinating. What what did the Zodiac Killer talk about in his last letter to the Chronicle?
3: In his last letter, he re- writes a movie review for The Exorcist and says it's a great comedy.
0: So... Obviously, the, the Zodiac not only sort of permeates um, our pop culture, uh, but even within his letters, because um, he mentions the most dangerous game. His last letter mentions the exorcist. I mean, he's he is infusing pop culture into his taunts with both, you know, the press and the police.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It is interesting. You can spend a lot of time. Ta- I can totally see the fascination um, I spent at one in the morning. Unfortunately, a couple of hours reading an entire page after page of forum posts on the Halloween card that was sent to Avery and all of the um, theories and and how it, you know, cracks the case and proves this and disproves that and etc. But you can really go down a rabbit hole on this one. Um, and, and it's fascinating because I think people in general um, like enigmas, right? They They want to solve it. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's, uh, and this is just me going on record. Before we get into the film, I, I just want to say, nobody, in my opinion, is ever going to solve this thing.
3: I completely agree.
2: Oh, not now, for sure. Yes, it's and been been even way if, too long. and even if they did, more than likely the person is dead.
0: Right. Probably. Yes. Or persons.
2: Yes.
3: Yeah, there's theories about it being multiple people and copycats and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I, I think, and when, when we get into the film, I think Fincher does a brilliant job of laying down some very thick themes on human nature, um, circular logic, uh, and I think this is probably one of the best um, dramas, uh, thrillers about a serial killer that's out there, but um, Zodiac is not about Zodiac. No. At all. It, it's, it has nothing to do with the... Ki- well, it, I'm not saying it doesn't have anything to do with the killer, but that is not the <laughs> crust of this film. But let's get into it. Are you guys ready to talk about the film? I mean, we spend an hour <laughs> talking about everything behind the scenes. Yeah. So um, I'm going to start with you, Angel. Um, I got to watch this with you. Uh, I think it was your first viewing. Yeah. You'd never seen it before. Um, I've watched it many a times. Brad, you've seen it many a times yes, too, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, did you see it in the theater, Brad?
2: I didn't... I don't think I did. I think I saw it on release on good old DVD when it came out.
0: Okay. So <laughs> you, you didn't see it on HD DVD? I did
2: not. Good <laughs> Lord. Can we talk about that for a second? You have, three yeah, copy, you have three copies of this movie. A DVD. I have three
0: copies of this film.
2: The HD DVD, which Troy was the one guy who bought that, and then yes. the Blu-ray, which...
0: <laughs> the. Yes. The director's the cut, Steelcase right? Blue or yeah, The Steelcase so, Blu-ray, whatever the direct, yeah. Yes, the DVD has the theatrical cut. Now, what's interesting about that is Paramount wanted to push that out, and there's not a lot of special features on it because um, David Fincher kind of wasn't done with his director's cut, but the studio is really pressuring him to get something out. So there's a bit of a bare-bones DVD that's out there, so bought that when it came out.
2: I would have loved uh, to have seen that original cut, that three-hour cut.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Th- this is one I you know would love Criterion or somebody to pick up and just take all the elements and here's your four or five versions of the film and and the work print and everything else. Um, HD DVD, Blu-ray were having a little bit of a battle, so um, that was the director's cut two-disc set. I think I bought it for that one, um, and then when I saw Best Buy I had the the steel case Blu-ray I had to buy that too. So yep, <clears throat> go ahead. You, you can have an issue. You have a problem. I have an issue. I know I have a problem. Okay, so let's get to the film. Uh, Angel, what what do you think about Zodiac?
3: It's definitely going into it not what I was expecting. What were you expecting? I was expecting, like, a basic movie about, like, the kill— sort of, like, I was expecting sort of, like, seven, where, like, you're going through the entire movie with the killings, but the killings all happen, like, the first 30 minutes, and I'm like, okay, well, we got two more hours— What's this going to be about? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you were expecting Silence of the Lambs 7, the, the cops chasing the killer, yeah. going after the clues. Um, now, I I prefaced it and said it was a slow film, right?
3: Yeah, you were like, oh, it's such a slow film. I don't know if you'll like it. And I was like, that was the fastest film I've watched. Like, <laughs> It felt like it was just going, going, going. And I was like, oh, okay.
0: But that, that's a criticism. I mean, it's a two-and-a-half-hour film, and to your point... A lot of the violence hap- actually all of the violence sort of happens up front, yeah, and then to your point, the next two hours is all about um these characters dealing with that violence in the investigation
3: mm-hmm.
0: um so you're you you enjoyed it then you...
3: yeah, it was definitely it caught me off guard, I really liked it because it's it wasn't just about like the killings, it was about like the behind the scenes like cracking it and like how it truly affected the people involved in the, like finding this guy.
0: Okay. Brad, your thoughts.
2: Yeah. I think what I noticed this time when I watched it is just how fast it goes for a two and a half hour movie. It's like, you know, again, the violence up front is very, um, it's very raw in this. I, every time the stabbing happens, it's, it gets me every time. Um, gunshots never bother me but seeing people get stabbed is the worst um and i saw where fincher kind of that's post uh you know he adds in blood post because if you know anything about david fincher he likes to do multiple and multiple takes um i know he drives a lot of people crazy he's very uh kubrick-esque with you know his ask for for uh, 50
0: 70 takes. Yeah. I mean, it's um,
2: crazy. I know like Robert Downey Jr. was like, you know, I kind of hated him at the end, but (laughs) people always, you know, they get, he gets the best out of people and Cooper kind of did the same thing as well. But uh, anyway, but I I just think this movie is something that needs to be seen um, just as like, again, we talk about this sometimes just as like a set piece for sixties and seventies culture. And that time frame and just how big this was I think this movie encompasses all that um, to a pretty good degree and again it's kind of nice to see these actors before they kind of turn into these superstars and you kind of see them um, right before they break and you're like yeah these are good actors um, regardless of like where they are in their career um, it's it's a pretty spectacular movie and I think Sadly, like, this gets lumped in with Fincher with, like, some of his worst films, but I don't know. I I, I don't want to say it's better than Social Network, but it's really good. It's, it's I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to go that far just yet, but um, I love it. <laughs> no, I definitely love I, it.
0: I, I agree. I'm I'm with Angel, because every time I watch it, and I remember the first time kind of walking into it, if if you look at David Fincher's filmography leading up to this, I don't think anybody was ready for what he delivered because yeah. I, I think you would look at all of his films and go, okay, you're getting another seven, or you're, you're getting, I don't want to say that traditional um, serial killer film or thriller.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, the opposite even, of seven. This is the inverse of seven because
1: it is. seven it's is so like much yeah.
2: going. And then this is like a slow pace. It's, we say slow pace, but it doesn't mean it like drags. It just, these guys are playing catch up with the killer. Um, they're not always on his tail, per se.
0: Yeah, and it's it's fascinating because how I'll tell you what is so unique about this film is it spans um, a lot of years, right? Because yeah. the killings happen in the front, and he's only dealing with really the the Zodiac killings, not all of them. So there's five,
3: mm-hmm. um,
0: and he and you know there's not a scene about every one of them,
3: mm-hmm. so
0: it's it's really the after effect of what happens with these killings and the use of editing. So one of the great montage scenes is when you have, like, the Zodiac letters in the background um, kind of on the walls and, you know, it's superimposed to all the scenes as you hear um, the music playing for that decade, which kind of sets it up. You get to see, um, who was it, uh, William Armstrong and Toski, Going through and interviewing everybody, and in the background is all the San Francisco, you know, Zodiac cryptograms and everything else. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic use of editing. Um, even there's a point in the film where it goes totally pitch black. Oh yeah, like halfway
2: you... through it, it's like this hard like fade to black, and you sit there for. It felt like ten seconds. It's probably not that long, but it's a long time.
0: Uh, it it probably is. Yeah. I didn't time it, but it was it was it was amazing to hear all of these new sound bites imposed with all this different music and it's a great you know auditory way to go through a passage of time versus you know just putting a bunch of well this is march of you know 1960 and here's march of 1970 or whatever it is mm-hmm. right and then um even when you see the construction of a building happen um which ends up being one of the tallest buildings that were built in San Francisco again the use of editing montage music the auditory cues Everything that they're doing for the passage of time really I think adds to this film and makes it um, makes all the transition smooth and I think to your point, it's not a slow film; it has a really steady pace. but the thing I love about this film is you you have three main characters, Jake Jalen Hall is sort of the anchor um, throughout the whole film, yeah, but you start. With um, Anthony Edwards uh, and Mark Ruffalo and uh, Robert Downey Jr. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, right? Hall sort of in the background. But a lot of this is, here's the killings and here's the investigation. And the film does this amazing thing where it zones in on Alan. And you get to a point of the film where they've got all of the evidence. And it very much plays like a traditional detective film. Where it's like, we got our guy. Here's all our evidence. And what is amazing is the bureaucracy at the time, right? Yeah. It is crazy what they had to go through just to get a search warrant. Um, and can we talk about the search of the trailer home? What is up with all those squirrels? <laughs> Whoa, that was gross, dude. That, that
1: was so weird. I can
0: me out, man. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't either. I mean, it wasn't, and I don't know. <laughs> Maybe my head is just messed up, but you know the detectors are going through all this, and oh look what they find under his bed, and look what they find here, and it's totally disgusting. But the fact that there's these squirrels running around yeah he's got to be guilty of something. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I don't know what he was doing to those squirrels. I don't want to know, but um, it that freaked me out more. It, I, if they found a corpse in that thing, I probably would not have been freaked out as like there were like 40 or 50 squirrels in that thing just running around loose and in cages and dead and everything else. It was crazy but anyways you go where was i going oh yeah you go through this whole setup and it follows like a traditional thriller detective film and you come right up to it and all of a sudden alan is not the guy nope right mm-hmm. stops right there not him everything points to this guy but it's not him and to your point angel that's the point every time i see this i'm like Oh my God! There's still an hour or something of this film, and you are crushed as a viewer at that point, because you're excited, you're in the thrill of the chase, you're like, yeah, that's the guy. Oh, and he did this, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm totally with Mark Ruffalo and Anthony Edwards on this one, right? And then all of a sudden, that's not their guy. They're they're not anywhere closer to capturing the Zodiac, um, and they have to start over. And that's where the Jake Gyllenhaal character sort of starts to come front and center because he's been in the background the whole time. And I think it's crushing as a viewer. Um, And I think the average viewer would be a little bit hard to sit through the last part of it because it's going in a place... It almost feels like you're starting over, right? Starting another film, doing the same sequence. um, Yeah, I mean, you
2: kind of are. I mean, you're, you're basically hitting the reset button on this movie and saying, well, it's not that guy, so let's let's run it back and see what else we can do.
0: Right. And then you go through the second half of the film. Um, and here's where I think Fincher is just brilliant. You have to go through that for, you have to get crushed as a viewer and feel the disappointment of Toski and, and everybody else involved and, and Avery's paranoia, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you and I talked about this a little bit, Angel, after we watched it. like he, My my favorite scene of the entire film is when he goes to visit the projectionist.
3: Oh, that's the creepiest.
0: Oh, at his house? He, at yeah. his house. Yeah. Because he's chasing down a lead, um, and he's got a movie poster, and he's looking for the guy who drew the movie poster because the handwriting samples and everything else are pointing to this individual that he's um, now convinced he's got a new lead it's not alan right so he walks into this house the guy says is hey, it look. rick
2: marshall at that time
3: yeah rick marshall rick okay. marshall
0: at that time so he's like come on over come to my house we'll have coffee tea whatever and we'll go through all this right
2: it, mm-hmm. why why are you going to the guy's house why are you going to the guy's house like it's <laughs> like horror movie 101 like don't go to the house don't go to the second location
0: well, you're an, you're an investigative journalist. You're you're on the edge. You got your big break. You're a cartoonist. You're Stay. a cartoonist. Yes, you're a cartoonist. Stay in your um, lane. But you're you're you you're going to this guy's house because he has the key piece of evidence that's so going to help you um actually kind of put the finger on Marshall and you're you're going to crack this thing wide open, right? Mhm. So, you go to the house as they're talking and they're talking about the most dangerous game and he goes, "Oh yeah." I kind of know the dates of when we do that, but the book's in the basement, right? But right before they go to the basement, he's talking about, yeah, didn't Marshall do this poster? Because this is the handwriting sample um, that everybody is saying, that's the Zodiac Killer. And the guy's like, no, I, I did that poster. That I mean, you're you feel your heart just in your throat at that point. Yeah,
3: like in that guy in the cartoonist's head, that's like saying, "Oh yeah, I killed those people."
0: Yeah, and and Hall's brilliant at this set because he's like, "What? What?" I mean, he just kind of doesn't believe it, right? Yeah. Only and to go down to like, the basement with him. Yes. Then he goes to the basement <laughs> to get the log. Hall goes down those steps. The guy's standing at the end. I my palms are sweating. Every I've seen this film so many times that I still get chills during that and then um the he he gives him the information and he stands there and then when he turns the light out it's pitch black you don't know what happened to this mm-hmm. guy right um i mean you want to talk about use of of shadows within a film and you know darkness it is fantastic in that basement jillian hall's trying to get out of the house the door is locked the guy comes up behind him unlocks it and lets him go i am just sweating bullets through that whole scene is <laughs> my favorite part of it but what I find fascinating about it is I don't think you could get there without following Toski's mm-hmm. events and just getting just totally dead end on this clue, then picking it up and following Marshall. And why this movie is so good is within that scene, you are feeling all of the paranoia. You're feeling everything that Gyllenhaal's character is going through. And Fincher puts you just right front and center on the front lines, Right. Yeah, And you're feeling everything that, you know, Gray Smith is going through his head and like, this is the guy. And then, oh my gosh, it could be this guy. And I'm so paranoid. Um, and he's really, really trying to make this evidence, you know, pinpoint to Marshall. Then he goes to see the lady in the prison and then finds out it's not Rick Marshall at all, no. <laughs> but she drops another name and it's Alan.
3: Yeah. But I think another point with that scene is what I think is so impressive is when you think of the Zodiac, you're like, that scene with the projectionist, that's what you think of. But he's literally, that character is not in the movie whatsoever besides those like five minutes. Right. So like that's impressive to make such a memorable scene be about a character that you never really see. Yeah,
0: he's the most ominous character. I I think that projectionist is scarier than the Allen character <laughs> to some degree. Um, but what I find fascinating about it is that's not the Zodiac. I mean... Fincher has done. It's just
3: some creepy guy. <laughs> yeah, it's just
0: some creepy projectionist guy, you know. But Fincher does such an amazing job of of taking the viewer on this ride and putting you through all of these steps with all these different characters to the point that when you get to that scene, you're not just watching it, but you're fully invested in it. I mean, you're yeah. living it. Um, and you start feeling the paranoia, you start feeling the tension, you start second guessing your clues. You don't know what, if your information and you feel the frustration too, even when you go to the prison and find out it's not Marshall, that Alan's name comes up again. Um, and to me that, that is like the brilliant stroke of the film that at some point after an hour and a half and you're going into the two hour stretch, you have pretty much, um, become the Graysmith character. I mean, you, you're feeling everything. that. They, how many films can, can put you through those paces and then give you the same feelings that the character is supposed to be going through?
2: Yeah, and Hall plays it so well. Like, he is just become so obsessive. And I know when I was looking and doing research and stuff, Richard Graysmith was like, yeah, I was going down too many rabbit holes and I was so obsessed with this movie, or with the Zodiac. Um, and I think gyllenhaal does such a good job with that it's you know they they make him look older they make him look disheveled at times um they obviously he has that domestic issues with his wife and with the kids yeah. and all that so it's uh yeah you go with a journey in this movie and it's uh again I, I, it's weird because some of the criticisms of the movie is like yeah it's kind of a- anticlimactic i'm like yeah, because the Zodiac killers <laughs> is still—it's never saw. I mean, did people—the few people that went to go see this movie—did they think, oh, at the very end, they're going to reveal who the Zodiac killer is and say, now we're going to make an arrest? Like, is
0: that? Of course they did. <laughs> I, you know, you know, everybody was kind of walking in, and and we can talk about that here in a minute. But I I, I do want to talk about Gyllenhaal, Ruffalo, everything else. I mean, you you, you nailed it, Hall? Is the heart and soul of the film. Um, I, I think he's the... In terms of acting, he's the best thing in this film. He's amazing. Oh, by... And, and that's... It's not even... Well,
1: I,
2: I think Robert Downey Jr. is pretty good, too, with his kind of slow, you know, digression yeah, into, he plays like... insanity well. To, like, this weird hermit, um, this drug-addicted hermit. I mean, I like how he's doing bumps at the bar all the time and stuff, so... <laughs> um, it, 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 you know, we go back to the Academy Awards for that year. And I know June Hall would have had like zero chance to win an award, but I mean, I think it was like, I don't know, man. I know there's only five and I'm trying to think if I can remember who was best actor that year, but obviously Daniel day Lewis is winning. So he's obviously not winning that year, but man, right. it would have been nice to see him get nominated for best actor. Cause it's, it's hard to, to feel like he didn't deserve it for this movie.
0: Well, and that that brings up Ruffalo. Um you know, I, I think that was the year that Javier Bardem won for No Country for Old Men, yeah. deservedly so. Yeah, there's yeah. nobody that was going to beat that. But Ruffalo pulls off this nuanced, you know, with the whole animal cracker thing. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, there there's some comedy to it, but um I mean, Mark Ruffalo outside of like the Incredible Hulk, you knew nothing about him.
3: Mm, not really.
0: So he, uh, outside, you, the Hulk shows up. That's what you see when you see Mark Ruffalo, yeah. right? Ooh, Spotlight. He's
2: really good in Spotlight. And, he's fantastic
0: in Spotlight, yeah.
2: Um, Another good movie he just had was Dark Water, which is about Flint, Michigan. Um, oh, yeah. I haven't yeah. seen it.
0: I have heard good stuff about yeah. that. But, yeah, he, he's fantastic in this movie. And, um, again, his frustration, the bureaucracy he has to live through. Yeah. Um. And even him dealing with Gyllenhaal's character where he kind of gives up on it mm-hmm. and, he, and he's trying to move on, but Gyllenhaal's still coming back to him, that interplay between those two is awesome too. I'll, I'll say Robert Downey Jr. I thought was kind of the weakest part of it. Now, here's my thing. I like Robert Downey Jr., <laughs> but um, Robert Downey Jr. is always Robert Downey Jr. in every film.
2: Yeah, he has to be the um, most like charismatic guy all the time and... I mean, yeah, he does kind of play um, – he does do the, the Tony Stark stick a little bit in everything, um, which is okay. But, yeah, you're getting Tony Stark as a journalist in this movie, kind of.
0: You, you agree, Angel? You're giving me this weird look. But I know you're a Robert Downey Jr. fan. Uh, we fight over Captain America, Chris Evans. and You
3: just don't like Robert Downey Jr. because Mom likes Iron Man more than Captain America.
0: Okay, that, that has a little bit something there to do with it. Cause...
3: That has a lot of truth to it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, um, sorry. I just th- thought of one
2: more Mark Ruffalo movie that you need to see. Shutter Island.
0: Oh, yes. I need to show you Shutter Island. Yes. Of course, you're going to love that one. Yes. <laughs> sorry. Um, I would be remiss no, if good, I forgot I, to bring it up. <laughs> to, to me, like, the difference is Jake Gyllenhaal, it, he, he comes up with a character – in a role for this film that isn't traditional Jake Gyllenhaal. I, I think he plays it fantastic where he is this cartoonist who is a bit of a puzzle nerd, becomes very obsessive towards the end, has an insecurity about him, um, is always watching on the sidelines, and then you know when he kind of gets pressured to jump in at the end and, and start working on it, mm-hmm. um, his reaction to it is, is fantastic. And Ruffalo is amazing. Um, Robert Downey Jr. is doing Robert Downey Jr. ish things as he normally does. And he's good, but I think he gets dwarfed by the other two.
3: Yeah. I think with Robert Downey Jr., like the reason he plays sort of that character so often is because like, he's so good at it. And like the directors probably pick him for those characters. Oh, I have no doubt. I mean, like if he was picked for something else, you just haven't seen it yet because directors go, Oh, well we need some drug act, charismatic person of Robert Downey Jr. So he's just picked for those parts.
2: I I agree. Yeah, I, and, but... and also they kind of throw his character off to the side. He, like, there's no real good conclusion for his character. They kind yeah. of show him in the bar with, like, the air tank, and then that's kind of it. And you don't really get a good closure with him. So maybe that has something to do with it, too, is, like, his character kind of gets thrown to the side to let Ruffalo and, and Hall kind of take the lead a little bit. So...
0: Yeah, that's true. And I mean the the character of Avery in the film doesn't resemble resemble doesn't <laughs> resemble um sort of the true life um Paul Avery in terms of those final days. I mean, Paul Avery, you know, still kind of maintained his credentials for a journalist. Act was actually publishing books. Um so the film sort of takes Avery, turns him into this neurotic uh bar fly with, you know, on oxygen. You know, surviving his last days watching, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Graysmith, um, chasing after the Zodiac. But, in, you know, in fact, uh, the real life Paul Avery, you know, married couple of kids, still writing, publishing, everything else. And I don't think he had such a dire ending the way that he does in the film. Yeah. So there's, there's some liberal, you know, choices with that character. Um, I, I got to say, so I, I have a couple of questions one of the things uh that happened when the film in this this is i think a unique question in in movies you get everything that happens you see the the audio visual you know the film itself and when the last shot closes in this film you get a lot of text so you get the film's over and then here's what happens kind of thing yeah So my question is, when is the narrative over, okay? So you're the director, you're the screenwriter, etc. Your vision, your art is up there. Is it over when the scene fades? Um, Or is it over after the text? Specifically in the case of Zodiac.
2: Could Could you treat the text as like a stinger?
0: Well, that's the question. I mean... So I would say I, I, after the text. After the text? What was your reaction, Angel?
3: I'm the one who actually asked this question. <laughs> she
0: did. <laughs> um, because this came up after our showing, which was uh, talking about the ending.
3: Yeah, and like how it changed the film. Which, my opinion of it is, it depends on your perspective. So if you see it as after the last like picture of the cast or characters, if that's the ending, then you're... The meaning of the story completely changes but if you see it after the text ending then it's a different ending like completely different story because like if it was when the last screen fades and everything then it's about sort of more so about the cartoonist on his journey through this thing trying to prove that find the killer and it comes he's like oh it's alan because he goes and writes two books about him and stuff like this but from if you include the text it's more so the director saying putting you in the circle of thought which we talked about of what this movie is kind of deeper about is it starts one story and then ends it and then you're putting this another story and i compared it to pulp fiction
2: okay
0: oh brad's head (laughs) okay
2: (laughs) keep going i'm listening i'm listening now (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's like multiple stories coming together and it kind of keeps you it shows you how one thing could put you in this train of thought that you're just constantly stuck in if you're you can't just accept that you're not going to find it the answer
0: it's the circular circular pattern of thinking right yeah so every so character... when do they go
2: back to the diner I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: are you waiting for the briefcase blowing yeah, yeah, when still... Ruffalo yeah. and Hall sit down <laughs> Uh, no, it's a good point. I mean, it's it it like Pulp Fiction is taking all these different characters and it's trying to kind of line them up into a particular timeline for a thematic element of the story. Um, and there's a couple of things that continue to happen. Um, and and here's the thing. So Fincher says that he he started the film with the second killing, and he's only going to depict the murders where he can interview somebody that was either a witness, survivor directly involved in it i think narratively that says something though it basically kind of throws you right in the middle of it um and you may be experiencing this as somebody who if you think about it the first murder wasn't attributed to the zodiac it really came about from the second murder and all of a sudden the myth of the zodiac comes up yeah and you have these three main characters and, you know, let's really say, too, it, it's um, it's Ruffalo and Gyllenhaal who are going on this, this character arc or journey with Anthony Edwards, you know, in tow, two and uh, Robert Downey Jr. Paul Avery, but you mean. A-
2: oh, sorry, yes, yes, and Paul yes, yeah. okay. Avery.
0: Yes, yeah, Avery, Yep. So, what, what you end up having is each character, specifically um, Ruffalo and Gyllenhaal, to your point, is is locked in circular thinking.
3: Yeah, they're, like, kind of stuck, like... At the beginning of the story they come upon, Oh, it's Lee and they're like, Oh no, it's not Lee and they go through this another journey and they're like, Oh, it's Lee again No, 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 it's not Lee is what the director <laughs> at the end like slaps you in the face. It's like just kidding.
0: Yeah, with that stinger, right? Yeah. So to your point, Brad, it's No, I
2: I get it. I think that is a good point that they leave with that kind of that powerful scene like, Oh, it's this guy guy points to him, he's like, So out of ten, what would you say is like an eight? You know, and that's what's he that was in 91 or something like that. So it's, you know, 40, 30 years, 20 years. What's my math? 20 years. So he's like, you know, 20 years later, he still thinks it's like 80% Lee. Only to like 30 seconds later, have a scream with text say, nah, they tested Lee with DNA and it's not him. So <laughs> I, I get, that is a good point. That is a good point.
0: Well, and it, 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 I think, um, I think those last scenes are very interesting because if each character is sort of, locked in the circular thinking. That basically means that they're making the suspect fit the evidence rather than the evidence um, tell them or determine who the suspect is. Like, to me, that's the biggest character flaw of everybody in the film, which makes it a little bit of a tragedy. So I want to talk about that last scene a little bit. So you have a um, police officer who goes to, you know, uh, who was the... First victim in the film that survived was that Mike? No, Michael was the second. Michael. No, Michael was in the second one.
3: The first. He was in the second murder, but the first, first scene. Survivor. Yeah, it
0: was Michael. Yes, the first scene, okay. second murder. Michael. Yeah. So they so they interview Michael, and like you said, Brad points to, um, Lee. Alan. Yeah. Right, Lee Allen. Um, or is it Alan Lee? Uh, it's Arthur Lee, Alan. Arthur Lee Allen. Arthur yeah. Lee Allen. That's right. So points to Allen. Says that's the guy. Then you get Jake Gyllenhaal walking into the hardware store, right? Yep. Confronts Alan, looks at him, and there's a, there's a scene earlier in the film when I think his wife asks him, why is it so important for you to do all of this, right? Because he's very, he yeah. loses his marriage all of this. And, and um, Graysmith basically says, hey, look, I, I want to know who it is so I can look the guy in the eye and understand it or see it, right?
3: Like know it's him.
0: Like know it's him. So he's looking for conclusion or resolution. Yeah. So my, my question to you guys, here's where I'm debating. Um, you look at the narrative choice of starting with that second killing. You go through this whole dramatic, we're following um, the detectives, come to Allen, nope, it's not Allen. You pick up the case, all of a sudden Hall is like, oh, it's, it's Rick Marshall, it's not Rick Marshall, it's Allen. Okay, then you get another scene. Guy points to Alan, Zodiac Killer. Hall walks into that hardware store. My question is, this exchange, he looks at Alan, Alan looks at him, and and Angel and I have watched this scene a couple of times. Um, I watched it a because, few times as well. Yeah, because I, I, I'm kind of like, what is going on here? Because I think you can interpret this a couple of different ways. And it's
2: one of those things also, like, you know when, when people say, when you hear something and someone says, no, it's this word, and then you say, oh, I can hear that. And then you say, and someone else comes in and says, no, he's actually saying this word. And you're like, oh, I can hear that. You could oh, probably yeah. persuade me a hundred different ways <laughs> on how this ends because it's just kind of how you perceive things. It's crazy.
0: Because Yeah, so is, is Alan's reaction... Due to him being the Zodiac, right, and Gray Smith getting resolution, right, or is it Alan knows he's being hounded by Gray Smith for something that he didn't do, and Gray Smith coming to the conclusion that he could be wrong, yes, um, or that he's accepted maybe his his version of the truth and is ready to move on. I mean, which is it? Is it is it a closed case? He looks at Alan's like that's the guy, and Alan's like yeah, I'm the guy, and if nobody was here. I'd murder you, <laughs> or is it more tragic where you've spent all this time with these characters guy lost his his family for the most part his wife he's obsessed over this you saw what happened to avery Mm -hmm. in in the film version and is um jake chillin all coming to the conclusion that yeah i'm i'm locked in this circular thinking and i i don't i don't know if that i'm looking at the guy and i don't know if it's the guy
2: he's terrified he's wrong he's terrified Terrified he's he's
0: wrong yep
3: Yep. I disagree. Angel
0: <laughs> disagrees.
2: I think he's terrified that he's wrong. He's spent all I this think time. That you are wrong. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, why? Why are we wrong?
3: Because, according to the movie, this, the cartoonist walks in, looks him in the eye, and it, I think, that he's meant to be seen as like, oh, it's you, and then he walks out because the cuts to, oh, I wrote, spent my life writing two books on this guy. Being it, but, he,
0: but even in but even in that, and I agree with you. I mean, if you're following the narratives of the book, but wh- why would they put that stinger at the end? It goes, "Alan was cleared from DNA."
3: Because then you wouldn't have an end to the movie. You would just be caught in the circular thing of it would go all the way up till 2018.
0: But, so to your point, though, if if Alan was the guy, in the intent of that scene, as Hall comes in, sees him, goes, "Ooh, I gotcha," and I, I've seen evil, and I'm gonna walk out why didn't the movie just end there?
3: Uh, I don't think it ended there because the director wanted you to be set in the loop that they're set in and like, Oh, it's this guy. Just kidding. It's not. And puts you in that character's loop of thinking.
0: Right. So I, I think you're agreeing with us, which is Hall doesn't think it's that guy. <clears throat>
2: it, no. <laughs> in poker, there's a term when you kind of go all in and you're pot committed and it's and you actually know you're going to lose a hand, but you're kind of bluffing to say, you're trying to get the other player to now fold. Um, so you're kind of all in, but you're like pot committed and you're saying, I'm not going to fold. I've got to now get this other person to bluff. Uh I think that's kind of more the deal is you can write a book with all this evidence and say, it's, you know, Lee, because that's what everything says. Um, because that's what made the best book. But, you, in the back of your mind, could also still feel that you're wrong about it, but you're going to sell books.
3: Yeah. Um, I think he may have that like back of the mind insecurity that he may be wrong, but I think with how it's portrayed in the movie on how this is so deep to him, like I need to find it, like this obsession is created, he's not, this isn't something he's just going to do like, oh, I make money. I mean, at like this point in time, he had to shit or get—he
0: had to shit or get off the pot <laughs> that's true. and write a book. Well, so are—are are you saying that he's committing—he's committing himself to a lie so that he has resolution? Yes.
2: Yeah. Okay. We're both saying the same thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I—I I, I think I think that's what makes this such a tragic film, um, is because it—it it highlights really everybody needs resolution. ...on something like this, right? Yeah. So, um, Paul Avery's life is depicted in the film... ...as shattered because he's always living in fear, right? And mm-hmm. he can't find resolution, so he's drinking himself to death... ...and um, he, he's just totally paranoid. Um, Toski and Graysmith, I think, come to an educated guess... Uh, ...that gives them resolution that they can move on. But I, I agree with you, I, I, think he's, I think he's looking at Alan... And he's basically saying, I don't think it's this guy, but I do think it's this guy, but I'm going to commit to the lie so that I can find resolution. Yeah. Or, I want to say a lie, but the evidence, all, for all intent and purpose, is circumstantial all around, right? I don't
3: think it's Lee because throughout the movie it talks about how he was fired from being a teacher because he was doing some bad things to kids. So, and like this killer's very. The reason the men. ...tend to survive is because he gets so focused on the women. Right. So I think it's not Lee because he would... I could see him killing a child and doing all that stuff, but he's not... He's into children, not women. His
0: profile is different. Yeah. For, and I, I think that pops up on yeah. um, one of the psychologists they bring on the uh, the Extras documentary. Yeah. But it, it's, it's crazy that, I mean, humans can't deal with enigmas, right? Yeah. Um, the obsession to solve it, they'll destroy their lives you know, in order to come to a resolution that they can live with. Um, they got to define the unknown. So they would rather just, sc- you know, succumb to a false logic, uh, rather than live a life where they're dealing with an enigma or the boogeyman still out there. Like mm-hmm. they, they have to. And, and that's why I wanted to go back and watch dirty Harry. Cause I think it's, it's interesting. That movie comes out in 1971. And I think what made that movie so popular is the, the, Dirty Harry was a was a screenplay that was floating around um and it wasn't a result of the Zodiac killings. It it was just a police procedural screenplay. But they made a choice to incorporate some things that were happening in the real world all the way down to you know there was a threat about the children in the school bus, so that ends up being a plot point in uh Dirty Harry. What's the killer's um, name
2: in that movie? Scorpio. 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 Okay, yeah.
0: Yep. And what what you get is you get this whole um you know, Eastwood even says they tapped into something that was going on at that time, which was, you know, a cop in order to succeed in 1971 had to stop, step outside of the law to some degree in order to track down somebody who was so, you know, villainous and evil. Um, and so therefore you get you get this depiction of a cop that is doing everything to catch a serial killer that is very similar to Zodiac. Um, and that's how Hollywood creates a film. It's looking for resolution. You know, mm-hmm. he gets he gets his bad guy at the end. But I think I think the public was looking for that kind of release as well, because everybody's obsessed with this, but everybody wants a resolution. And Dirty Harry's where you can go and find some escapism. And it, you know, oh Scorpio Zodiac, it's the same thing, right? School bus of kids. Oh, Dirty Harry prevents all of that stuff. But there's resolution in the Dirty Harry film. There's not resolution in real life. And so people can escape that enigma and attach themselves to that film. And it it was interesting to watch. I I don't, I mean, if you watch it today, in today's political environment, I think it's very charged. Um, I think that whole series is, uh, (laughs) but it, it was fascinating to watch Zodiac and then a couple of nights later put in Dirty Harry and say, oh yeah, I can totally understand why this was so successful in 1971 if for the last couple of years people were being threatened by the boogeyman called the Zodiac, and there was just, there's no end in sight. And this guy's writing letters to the, to the newspaper, and I've killed 30-some people, and I keep going, and, and nobody can catch him. So I can see the appeal and the allure of Dirty Harry where people started to say, well, if the cops just didn't have to follow the law, they could go out and catch these kind of guys.
3: <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. It's a good example of how movies are kind of a like, safe haven from reality and kind of gives you this false, like, safety.
0: Yeah. Especially dealing with a topic like that that you, you know, wake up every day and and see the newspapers. And and it's funny to hear everybody involved in the film of how Zodiac affected their lives and their hearing about it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, from the screenwriter and Fincher and everybody else. They come from a background where they grew up with this information.
3: Yeah, they grew up with being on the school bus with cops following their bus and stuff like that. And so Pincher definitely creates his childhood boogeyman with this movie.
0: Couldn't have said it better, man. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I'm Angel losing my job. The, yeah, <laughs> Angel dropped the mic on us on that one. Um, any anything else about the film? I mean, I I could go on hours talking about all these different scenes that I, I think were so powerful and impactful in the pacing and the editing. Um, I, I, I really think this is Fincher in his prime. I just um, love, I love everything about this uh, film.
2: I, I just love a good investigative film. Like show me people investigating X just in, in Ruffalo's in a lot of these. Like I said, he's in spotlight, he's in dark waters. Like those are just great movies. I don't know what it is about that. It's, it's just, I don't know. It it gets me every time. So I think Spotlight's a great movie. I think Dark Water's a great movie. Obviously, this is a wonderful movie. So um, that investigative-type film is is up my alley. I didn't really think that was, like, a genre that I was into, but then I saw this, and I was like, it's <laughs> going back. I was like, well, I like that movie JFK, even though it's, like, insane, but I like it. And then, like, The Untouchables is also, like, an investigative movie. and So it was, like, Munich and things like that. So I was like, oh, yeah, I do like those type movies. So... I'm in for this genre, or subgenre. Yeah, I,
0: I agree, and and it's unique in terms of, again, it it puts all the, quote unquote, and I'm using I'm using air codes, but nobody can see it, uh, <laughs> all the action to the front of the film, and it is all about the investigation and the obsession, um, and again, I I think it becomes very tragic, uh, but I I totally think it captures everybody's obsession with true crime today. Um, it, it amazes me how many true crime episodes and true crime podcasts there are out there. I mean, I, I gotta believe that's probably, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm just talking off the cuff here, but is, is that probably like the number one genre of podcasting it's, out it's there? Got, like it's got, it's gotta
2: be, it's gotta be hands down.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, I listen to some of it, but I'm just, I'm amazed at, uh, if, so let me ask you this: If if true crime podcasting and, and true crime in general, people seem to have a, a big fascination with it. And I think that's always been the case, but it seems to really be at its height right now. If if this film were released today, would it would it have been a bigger hit?
2: I think you. So if you put this, it would.
1: If it would have been people, with Mark Ruffalo and.
2: Yeah, the same people yeah, <laughs> for, for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Um. I think easily. Um. It it was a film that came out ten years too early.
3: Yeah, I definitely think if it came out now, so many people would be into it because that that true crime is such a big hit. Like, just with Netflix, there's so many, like, Ted Bundy things coming out, and it's just... I definitely think with my generation, they've become obsessed with, like, the background and psychology behind these killers.
0: Okay. So, I, I gotta ask, I mean... Is this the type of film that you would recommend to your friends that are into this? Or would you take the more Hollywood approach and say, oh, you know, Silence of the Lambs or, you know, Seven or something of that nature? Would would this be something that you would kind of sit down and say, hey, I've, I've got a good thriller for you? Um, or, or do you think it's just a little too unique? Mm,
3: I definitely think it's a unique movie, but I think... I definitely think if you're into true crime and stuff like that, this would be a good movie to watch. I would recommend it to friends because it's that whole investigation and like the thrill of trying to figure something out.
0: Okay. Well, is it is it time to ask the question? Uh,
2: well, I want to ask one more thing. Now, yeah. <clears throat> I also like documentaries. Do you think this would have made a better big-budget documentary? Or do we think that the Zodiac film would is this a better medium to kind of show the zodiac
0: it's a good question i mean i'll i'll do my answer first because i'm curious about yours because we we watched the documentaries, which was on, a little dry <laughs> they're yeah. very dry yeah I, but it's fascinating because it's it's all the people that they interviewed for you know making of the film so they're they're talking to the police that were involved um they're talking to the survivors the the two male survivors yeah. show up um I don't think Zodiac, and again, this is just me personally, I don't think Zodiac as a crime is very interesting. I think the things surrounding Zodiac, so to your point, the the historical context, the things that came out of Zodiac and how it affected um, the movie industry, how it affected uh, the officers involved or the reporters or anything of that nature, like the topic of Zodiac itself and the murders, I just I I don't find fascinating. But I found I find everything fascinating that came out of this. So, for Fincher to to concentrate on the impact of these based on the people that were close to it and that obsessive quality, I find that better. Whereas a documentary, I mean, I I was listening to that podcast that was going through this in these thirty minute you know bits and and I've watched you know a lot of documentaries on this um which is a bit morbid but it it, i i never found it so compelling or fascinating but i found the stuff that you know was coming out as a result of it more interesting like toski to me is an interesting character and i would way want to find out more about him than i would like the zodiac case if that makes sense i don't know how you feel
3: I feel like you would definitely do better as a movie than a documentary because, like, I don't really know what you'd put the documentary about. Be like, oh, we have this evidence, but, like, it wasn't this guy. Oh, it wasn't this guy. Yeah, we really have nothing. <laughs>
0: yeah, you don't. I mean, every, it... Really, the evidence doesn't... There's a lot of evidence. It points to a lot of different scenarios. Mm-hmm. But it's the obsessiveness of the people. Like... Show me a movie of these guys that are showing up on this Zodiac um, website. I'd like to see a documentary on these folks, the Z- <laughs> Zodiactologists or whatever. I-, I don't know if they're part of Scientology, but um, <laughs> I I, w- I would find that documentary fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Brad? No,
2: I I think, again, the Zodiac taken out of context isn't as interesting. You have to have everything else kind of around it. The time, the place, the lack of understanding of serial killers at the time is huge. Um, I don't even think mm-hmm. the term serial killer was around when there's more cra- craze killers is what they call them. So, I, yeah, I think the movie, the movie was better for not being about the actual Zodiac because, A, they don't know who it is, but kind of focusing on these people who become obsessed in their own way about this time with the zodiac um so no i i just think you know a lot of times you can get across information better in a documentary obviously more accurate as well but i know fincher was kind of praised for his thorough research and how kind of accurate a lot of this stuff was now he took some freedom on some things but you know he they, he was praised for his accuracy on a lot of this um information so i was just curious
0: Yeah, I found Graysmith's reaction, I think he was quoted as saying, after he saw the film, oh, I can understand why my wife left me. Um, (laughs) And, you know, for Fincher and, you know, his partners to spend 18 months doing all that research and going down that rabbit hole themselves, I think Fincher captures his experience with the topic um, through this film more so than trying to describe, like, the events of the topic. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a great, like, I, I think it would have been a different film if Fincher just got the screenplay and said, all right, let's 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 shoot this sucker, right? Mm-hmm. Got the cast together, et cetera. The fact that he went through 18 months of investigative um, journalism himself and having these interviews and tracking it down and, and really getting so, I, I mean, imagine eight hours a day, if that's how it worked, right? 18 months, eight hours a day on nothing but Zodiac and trying to put the pieces together and trying to tell that story. Um, I think you get this type of film and and again, that's why I think you get that very effective scene of okay, as an audience member, I'm now experiencing everything Graysmith is experiencing toward the end. I'm involved in his circular logic, I feel the paranoia, I mean everybody's a suspect um and i I think it's all that prep work that went into the film that kind of enabled him to write the screenplay, give Gyllenhaal Hall you know direction, take seventy takes or whatever they did to get that reaction. Um, and I, I I think it would have been an entirely different film had he not you know spent that eighteen months just absorbed in the topic.
3: Yeah, he was definitely amazing at making the audience capture that feeling because one of the scenes with the woman in the car. Oh yeah. As the it's so creepy and it, like as the music's taken away in that scene, your breath is also taken away because it's just terrifying. And
0: that line, you know, I'm gonna throw your baby out You're the like, window. Like I
3: promise to kill you, but I'll throw your baby out the window.
0: That's horrifying. Just horrifying. <clears throat> all right. All right, let's do it. Okay. Angel, we're going to start with you since you've been our most awesome guest this evening. I mean, you knocked it out of the ballpark. It, it's it, 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 Thank you so much for putting all the work into this. But the question at hand um, is Zodiac a bomb.
3: No, I think it was amazing. <laughs>
0: you think it's amazing? Wow. I
3: think it was a great movie.
0: Awesome. There you go. Brad.
2: I I agree. I I think this is Fincher's, one of Fincher's best movies. Um, I, you know, if he didn't have Benjamin Button on his, uh, on his (laughs) filmography, I think he'd be pretty clean slate. So um, yeah, but no, I think this is so criminally underseen and underappreciated. Um, Just the amount of time and effort in, Like I know, I heard a story about David Fincher one time that he was like putting all these cameras for the scene and someone just moved one half an inch and he came back on the set and literally the first thing he noticed was someone moved the camera. So he's like that, like he had like that much attention to detail in what he's doing, Um, which I'm sure he's like a maniac to deal with, but the results <laughs> the results speak for themselves so even if i don't like Benjamin button i can appreciate how it looks and feels and all that stuff so yeah it's this is not a bomb
0: yeah i i agree i mean you you both are 100% correct this is one of my favorite fincher films i love it um even for being as long as it is i can sit down and watch it get totally just wrapped up into the characters and you know we we didn't even get into talking about some of the overhead shots and you know the uh just that cab going down the screen and you following it overhead yeah. and and how you know the violence occurs and there's so many amazing sequences to appreciate this film from a cinematography standpoint um and from an acting standpoint from a scripting uh, I, this is you know one of the finest american films to come out of that decade now it. It was up against a bunch of amazing films in 2007. I still, man, I, I really wanted to see Ruffalo, um, Hall, even Fincher. The screenplay get some love at, at the Academy Awards, but I, I mean, man, I, that was a <laughs> that was a tough one yeah. to, to get into.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, awesome, Zodiac, not a bomb. So if any of you were just you know put off by the runtime or even the subject matter i i mean my eighteen year old daughter who is very <laughs> angsty teen uh, well okay maybe the teenagers love it come on guys it's it's a great film you gotta check it out if you haven't seen it um, brad yes sir what what's next do we talk about next month do we well
2: where do we put this movie troy
0: oh we gotta talk about so we got to rank this one, huh?
2: Yeah. What was last week?
0: Last week was The Nice Guys. Yes. Which is our... And it took our number one spot.
2: <laughs> yes. So our... our So I'm just going to read the top five because if this goes out of our top five, I'm leaving the show. So... <laughs> uh, number one... And Angel,
0: you tell us if you agree with yeah. us, okay? okay? Number
2: one is The Nice Guys. Two is Scott Pilgrim. Three is Warrior. Four is Dread. Five is Attack the Block. Troy, you tell me where you think this movie goes and I will tell you if I agree or disagree.
0: I think we have a new number. Number one,
2: one. yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hands down. Um, uh, again, I agree. We keep moving. We keep having a number one film the whole time, so we might need to take it back a bit. But
0: you know, we might have to revisit Remo so we can get it up uh, a few slots. Well, I... Remo revisited.
2: <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> if we um, hey, if we make it to show one hundred, we will redo Remo.
0: Really? Yes. Okay, now <laughs> you've given me something to work towards. Okay. okay. Um, well, let's let's talk about November. November, or how about we talk November? about September? <laughs> September <laughs> which is just... well, we were talking about November earlier, yes. so I've got that in my mind. Yes. All right, we'll do September. We actually we, what we what we started to do is we've gotten some amazing feedback, and we're getting a lot of recommendations. Um, the nice guys that we did last week was from a, a listener, Alex. Um, we're always looking for recommendations. Hey, we got one now, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. I didn't even think about that one, so we got to add that to the list. Okay. That, that's a great film. Uh, I I think it's a lot of fun. Um, but, look, uh, see, Brad and I, <laughs> some, some of our favorite films, and you know this, Angel, about me, and I know you know this about Brad, too. We like the movies where people like... Punch and kick. kick the other person in the face really fast and hard. I get what you're saying. Yeah, those are fun movies, right? Um, and so we thought, hey, let's do some, let's do a theme in September, and then the first thing that popped in our head was, well, let let's let's do these movies, and then immediately we thought, ooh, yeah, but they were they were huge hits, like worldwide. Yeah. But then our creativity <laughs> popped in and said, yeah, that math is stupid. Don't tell your mom I said that. Um, my she mo- doesn't it. listen. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, we thought, okay, well, how do we justify this? So so we did some investigative research ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so in September, we decided we are going to spend the entire month talking about the one and only Donnie Yen. And specifically the Ip Man movies. Yes. Now... There are five Ip Man movies. I know what you're... Listener, you're going, nope, there's four. The fourth one just came out. There's technically five. Between three and four, they did Master Mm Z. Yep. Yep. And so we're going to review that one with three. So we're going to look at all five Ip Man movies, even though Donnie Yen is not in Master Z. But it has a fantastic cast anyways. And I know what you're thinking. Um, Brad, like... It man did a lot of money worldwide, didn't
2: it? Yes, it did. But let me kind of rub my fingers together and get all Yes.
0: Domestic How did we justify this?
2: Domestic <laughs> domestically, they are woefully underseen and do not get enough um credit for just how amazing and um how important they are. Um so we wanted to shed some light on a film series that we believe is criminally unseen in the United States where we live. So that's what we're doing.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Because the first one didn't even get a theatrical release. And so therefore it earned $0 at the American box office. And then if you, if you actually look at the numbers from two, three masters, and four, the box office like increased in the U S. And I want to say fourth, um, actually just came out, uh, towards the end of last year in the theaters um, mm-hmm. in 2019 because we saw it in the theaters yeah. here in Baltimore we actually drove back early for Christmas to catch it yeah you did yeah
1: we did <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> um, and it it's the most successful out of them but if you look at the domestic box office for Ip Man 4 it it doesn't come close to I, I think the budget so I think we justified it that way yeah right? and I
2: believe all four of the major ones are on Netflix right now
0: Master these on there too, okay. so you can you can play along and watch all five of them. Okay, which I now. I can't a- wait. I yes, can't wait. Angel. What, what's your thoughts on Donnie Yen?
3: He's a huge part of my childhood <laughs> because of you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you have a favorite Donnie Yen movie?
3: It'd probably be the Ip Man series. Cause that's going to be one of the biggest ones.
0: Okay, good answer. So you're going to listen to the shows, right? Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> I don't buy that. Um no, I'm excited, Brad. So we we're kung fu junkies and um I, I'm a little heartbroken we're not talking Jackie Chan first, but I mean <laughs> Jackie Chan movies they, they don't bomb they're they
3: Well Tuxedo. Let's... Should we talk about Tuxedo?
0: Tuxedo is
3: Or a spy next door.
0: So, Brad, <laughs> how can people get a hold of us? <laughs> well before we go,
2: I do wanna say Uh, Wakanda forever Um, Chadwick Boseman passing away was the biggest bummer like so I I usually don't get too upset about celebrities passing away because I kind of reserve that emotion for people that I know but uh, Chadwick just seemed like a really good dude and to know that he had colon cancer for the last four years and did all these great movies and went to St. Jude's hospital to visit all these kids all the time. And he was going through so much. Um, You got to believe that he's a wonderful human being. And um, yeah, a lot of, you know, I know, I know this is like a hundredth on the list, but we're kind of cheated out of probably another 20 great performances by him. Um, Selfishly, I would love to see him, you know, go on and make more movies, but obviously I would just rather him be alive. So um, it's just a big bummer. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. It, when I found out about it, it was one of those where I had to do a double take. I think you texted me Yeah. and I hadn't, I hadn't looked at the news or anything. And when you, when you sent me that news, I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's just, he was to me so young. I know he's 43. Yeah. Um, and I could not. Even wrap my head around it, and even when I read the first news article, I had to go back and find another source. Um, and even uh, this morning, there is a video that's circulating about a speech that he gave at Howard University. Yeah, that commencement speech um, the commencement speech talking about you know really his his one of his first gigs at a soap opera, him asking questions about the background of his character, the next day being let go but it ended up paving the way for, you know, the person that followed him. He was an actor who I don't think just sort of revolutionized the genre that made him the most famous with black Panther. Mm-hmm. But when you read about his personal life and like you said, all of the things that he did and in his work ethic, even being that sick and how many people he inspired, um, it's a huge loss, like, from the human race. Not not from the film industry, not yeah. from anything else. but and, and it does hit you because, A, I'm in my 40s, and when I see that, I'm like, man, that's too young. Um, and it puts things in perspective. And sometimes when you look at people like that, you take stock in your own life and you go, man, I'm just not doing enough. Yeah. At all.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> and, I mean, no small feat. He inspired countless African-American little boys and girls to believe one day they could be a superhero. And you and I have grown up with that feeling our entire lives. I saw Superman when I was four years old. I saw Luke Skywalker when I was four years old. I always believed that I could be a superhero. Uh, Chadwick made a whole generation of African-American boys and girls believe one day they could be a superhero. And that is um, pretty spectacular. It's inspiring. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's inspiring i did, did it hit you hard i mean
3: yeah when i first saw it I was like no, this is fake like he didn't die like he can't it was then finding out it was real it really hit because like knowing that all those little boys and girls kind of lost that huge turning point for them because like if you want to make more black panther movies who are you gonna put in to follow up those footsteps like that's gonna be incredibly hard yeah and
0: I, I, don't, I mean i don't think you can no, I, I thought, I thought some of the most powerful images are, um, the little kids with their black Panther figures. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I think it got a little stagey as more kids kind of did it. But, um, the first time I saw it, it, it was, it was pretty impactful. you know, where you know, some boys just setting up all of his action figures standing around the black Panther and in, in sort of a morning. Yeah. That's, uh, um, that was pretty gut-wrenching. Yeah. That, that kind of hurt. But to your point, Brad, I mean, that, that's. He inspired a lot of people to kind of believe outside of their environment, and um, you know, gave them a lot of hope. So, yeah. um, and I, I have to imagine Angel like having that kind of news from a character that um, you were starting to grow up with, and an actor that you were discovering, uh, and then and then seeing that cut short. I mean, it's
3: it's just crazy because like you, when actors typically die, it's usually something like that. They're like old and like they're amazing actors but like you're kind of not too surprised by it you're like oh yeah like they were getting old and stuff like that but like this guy his life was just cut so short and I feel like he could have done so many more amazing things just for not just for the film industry like you said but like just for the human race yeah
0: I'm just telling you if you go back and read anything about what he was doing in the last four years battling it, I, I just I could not even imagine that type of strength yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Well <laughs> best to all of his friends, family. Yeah. I mean, we're mourning for him and um oof. That's a tough one. All right, Brad. I think we gotta give some information out, right? Yeah.
2: Um if you want to get a hold of us, it's uh at Twitter we are at um not a bomb pod um uh, feedback like Ben from California. It's not a bomb pod at gmail.com website is not a bomb Um, you know, Troy and I are, you know, chugging along doing this. Um, you know, like we said, when we first started that this just kind of gives you and I an excuse to talk every week and to send a text every day. Um, so we're okay with just doing that and no one really listening, but you know, people do listen and we get feedback and people enjoy it. So it's just kind of like the cherry on top, but, I mostly do it so you and I can talk about a movie and we can kind of obsess over the same subject uh, for a week. So, yeah. Now we get to obsess over the same subject for an entire month when it comes to Hitman. Oh, so. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm excited. And and I I am so grateful, Angel. I know this is one of those things where um, you've got a busy schedule uh, with everything going on. Um, and, and Brad, I, I didn't even get a chance to mention this. I mean, I, I brag about Angel quite a bit. Especially this uh, summer with doing softball and stuff like that, even within the COVID, but she just got asked to um w- what's the news? Where are you going to be playing softball next summer?
3: Oh, next summer, I got invited to play for the international USA team in Australia.
2: Oh wow, that's
0: awesome. yeah, put another so, strip on the Barbie <laughs> 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 uh, you're amazing, so I, i'm I Congratulations. I'm excited. Thank you. Yeah. I, I When we got. That, Don't leave uh, your call... shoes
2: outside. Apparently. Cause oh, the spiders. I'm be on
3: edge all
1: yeah. week. <laughs>
0: yeah. It, it's going to be a life changing event for you. But, um, I, I think it's just another, you know, example of how amazing you are. I tell you that all the time. And, uh, like Brad said, we do this because we've been friends for a long time. We love talking about movies and this is easier than sending like a thousand texts about <laughs> Zodiac. Uh, we're, we're humbled. Um, Ben, like just you reaching out and, uh, just asking us a question I, that's kind of humbling, um, in that there are people who are listening and I, I think we had somebody leave a review on iTunes and <laughs> that kind of blew me away because yeah, yeah. again, it's, it's more than five people listening. So I'm a little shocked, but I was super excited to have my daughter come on and everybody kind of get to hear her. Um, and you will definitely be coming back because the amount of preparation you did and and,
3: I'll be coming uh, back for Elvira. Yes,
0: wow. uh, if we do Elvira, you're you're definitely coming back it's for not that one. If it's, it's when. when we do Elvira,
3: sorry. <laughs> and um,
2: but I hope you learned an important lane, uh, lesson, Angel, that if you go to lovers' lane type areas, you will get killed. So don't you ever do it again. Don't definitely you definitely
3: learn that lesson? Don't go. Yeah. That's what my dad's been doing <laughs> yeah. with all the horror movies. Yeah,
0: yeah. don't go sucking face with some boy yeah. in lovers' lane. I don't want to hear it. So. <laughs> I don't want to
2: hear it. You go to lovers' lane, and you get killed. You deserve it. So.
3: <laughs> so that's why I was watching horror movies at five years old. <laughs>
0: exactly. Um, no, but hey, thanks, listeners, and thanks for playing along. And uh, September is gonna be fun. I'll, I'll tell you this: do not uh, be taken aback by the Ip Man films. If they are, you know, please don't don't watch them dubbed. I think that take well, or you uh, could watch them dubbed. What, whatever you want to do, just just play along next month. Those those films are so much fun. Um, we're gonna bring a lot of guests on next month. Um, Brad and I are going to just for an entire month tell you how much we love Donnie Yen, um, and Samuel Hung, and uh, Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> oh,
2: Michelle Yeoh. Mm.
0: Yeah, um, she's she's in Master Z. So I'm I'm just telling you, Scott Atkins. I mean, th- September it auditory wise, it's going to kick you in the face. Um, it's going to be awesome, and it's a good. Pick. Yeah, and then we got going to nerd out on.
2: Then the- we have horror month after that. So we're yes. the next
0: spooky season.
2: Yeah. So, All right. Oh. That's all we got, Troy. I'm, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
0: I'm going to tap out. All right. Everybody have a good morning or evening whenever you're listening. Um, and take care of yourself. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.